Brian, you know what one of the best parts of the holiday season is? Being with your family? Well, no, when oh, that's part of it too, but when old friends come by and drop in and visit you that you haven't seen in a while, you get to catch up, and that's what's happened here. Right here on our program, an old friend of ours has dropped in, the folks from Paint Your Life, one of our most popular sponsors, one of the greatest products that we have ever promoted, has come back around because it's the greatest holiday gift in the world. And at Paint Your Life, they make it easy to get a professional hand-painted portrait created from any photograph at an affordable price, or you can combine photos. So let's say your grandfather and your little grandson never lived in the same place because they were different ages. Well, now you can put them in the same picture. You didn't even need to shoot the thing with the camera, just have it painted. Yourself, your children, your family, a special place, a cherished pet, a lost loved one, even an action shot of you, candid photography, whatever you've got a picture of, the team at Paint Your Life can turn it into a world-class hand-painted professional portrait under your administration and jurisdiction. And at PaintYourLife.com, there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded, guaranteed. And right now, in time for the holidays, you can get one of these works of art for your very own home or someone you love or care about and get 20% off and free shipping. All you got to do is text the word DRIVE, D-R-I-V-E, to 64000 at 64 and three zeros. DRIVE to 64000 to get 20% off and free shipping at PaintYourLife.com on one of their fine portraits. Folks, again, message and data rates may apply and terms apply, which are available at PaintYourLife.com slash terms. But the big news, 20% off and free shipping. At PaintYourLife.com, text the word DRIVE to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Don't pay any attention to the ones that don't matter at all. of the Jim Cornette experience. Folks, I'm on the downhill slide back to good health today, but pro wrestling is still on life support. And also on the program, we're going to hear from Cult of Cornette members from around the world because it's a show of and for the people. And joining me in this, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you, pausing to breathe, 
He's the most popular, proficient, and prolific person in podcasting, the great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. When it comes to your breath, where would you say you are today? Are you like Lex Luger 92 in terms of out of breath? Where are you today? Jesus How's Christ. That? Or Darth Vader. How's that? What is that? I don't know. Jesus. That's, that's my scary. lungs. That's my lungs. You know, if you listen to the drive-thru, I won't say this past week, I'll say, what, 36 hours ago. We're so far behind this week on schedule. If you listen to the drive-thru out there, folks, you'll know that both myself and my lovely wife, Stacy have had the flu for the past week. I went into great detail on how I've able to, been able to remain healthy for almost three years now, and in a mother-in-law of a close personal friend snuck a hug in on Stacy and contaminated the whole family. We are slowly getting better. The antibiotics have run out. I do have a little bit more energy. The head's feeling clearer, but the chest, everything's settled in the chest now. That's where it goes. And, 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 and you can't laugh and everything. To go outside, just the wind takes your breath away. Climbing the stairs, blah, blah, blah. So... I may be a little slower again today than normal, but we will try to get through this uh, congestive situation and back on our regular schedule with all the life and energy that we normally have starting this coming week. We're trying to work toward getting the schedule back, which is why we're doing these shows now every day and a half or so to fucking catch back up. What is our normal but schedule? I don't fucking know. I don't know if we have a norm. You know, it used to be, for me, it used to be every 28 days, but I don't know what the fuck's going on these days. But, uh, so anyway, if you don't listen to the drive through by the way, that's well, like getting half of your directions in life. No wonder you're not getting anywhere. You people that just listen to one show or the other. But anyway, so I'm feeling better, so we're going to try to get through this, but I'll tell you what, yesterday, the whole family's been sick. Even little Harley. Little Harley came down with a puny tummy. And when she comes down with a puny tummy, there ain't anything puny about it. So uh, yesterday, Saturday morning, I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Quarter to five in the morning. It's pitch black outside, blacker than a banker's heart. Colder than a well digger's ass. And I'm just going to run into the bathroom real quick, and I'm going to pee, and then I'm going to resume my prone position in bed up under the cover. And... I must say that that Harley had had a little bit of a, a people food treat. And we shouldn't do that, but we, we felt so bad. We hadn't been able to take her out and run her around like normal. She'd just been sitting around moping while we'd been sick. Well, Harley had had incidents. because There's a place in the upstairs bathroom where Harley has her little pee pad and she's allowed to have her area there because when it's the middle of the night, we, we don't want to get up or it's snow outside or it's pouring rain. She has the, the option of going inside there in, a, in an approved location. Well, and she does that. She's very good about that. If you just put her down off the bed after, you know, she finishes watching her television program or whatever, and you say, go potty, she'll run right in there and do the thing. But the bathroom was a battlefield. Whoa, 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 whoa. She has pooped 
pee pad to floor. It's bad. No spot was clean. It's so sad. Bathroom's a battlefield. Whoa, I'm still on the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I was going to say, you've watched too much Pat Benatar in that Hall of Fame Well, you can never watch too much Pat Benatar, you no-good, sorry, gum-bumping sack of snake feces. How dare you say that? So anyway... So there was no way in the world that a human being or my little four-legged furry love of my life could possibly go into and out of this bathroom without bringing some of the various effluvia with them, especially in the middle of the night in the dark. So I got to turn the lights on. I got to get the rags and implements out. And I'm cleaning up poop off the deck at five o'clock in the morning. And I said, well, I'm awake. So I go downstairs and sit and shiver and cough and wheeze a little while more. And I said, well, God damn it. I've got to, I'm getting behind not only on the podcast, but all we had just caught up on the merchandise situation, the action figure situation, getting ready to get ahead. Actually, we were going to start filling orders before people even made them. And then this week I backslid a little bit. I'm going to sign some figures. I'm going to do some merchandise business. We got to inventory these t-shirts. I can get back with the feather bottoms, blah, blah, blah. So I tried to, I pushed myself a bit yesterday and I got a lot of that stuff done. I'll have, you know, and this is the only merchandise plug I'm going to make in the show today because God damn it. At this point, if you haven't ordered, I don't care. I don't, how much can one man take? Uh, but everything ordered, I'll have, you know, through Friday morning, December the 2nd is already signed and packed up and ready to be handed to the feather bottoms, which they will have by the time the people hear this on what's it going to be December 5th or 6th. They'll, so we're, we got like a five day turnaround point there. That's the closest we've been in months and months. JimCornette.com. If you don't order by this Sunday and you want it by Christmas, domestically, that is the United States. Well, it's your own fault because I'm about ready to throw my hands up. But anyway, I was tired, and I said, let's, I'm going to, we're at least where our appetites are back. That's the steroids talking. No wonder all the guys, when they get older, they've been on steroids all their lives, and they quit training. They become 350 pounds. So we we ate some dinner and started to watch Svengoolie, and it was at 8 o'clock Eastern time. I remember the first half hour, maybe, and I went to sleep at 8.30. And I did not wake up this morning, and it is still Sunday morning as we're speaking. I did not wake up this morning until close to 8 o'clock. I slept almost 12 hours straight, which I haven't done in years and years and years, I don't believe. When I woke up, I felt like I was coming out of a coma. I was weak and disoriented and a tad bit dizzy. I had slept so long. So... Now we're back doing this thing again, and 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 the wrestling business just is not cooperating. You know, at least when you're sick, if you at least had something to look for, well, I can sit here on the couch and watch my favorite thing. These are a few of my favorite things, wrist locks and head locks and hip tosses all around, kickoffs and body slams and suplexes. You're such a clown. But did Julie Andrews get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame too? Where'd this come no, from? No, no, and, and that is a glaring omission. I'll tell you what. <laughs> she may get in next if, year. If you know, if only for Chim Chimney Chim Chim Cherie. 
But nevertheless, the rest of, you know, I used to go to shows all the time sick. And I mean, this was before we back in the old days, back when people still saw in black and white, and we didn't realize how easily viruses are transmitted from person to person. And I, but you know, you, you had to, you're booked, right? You're hurt. You go to the show. You're sick. You go to the show, shitting yourself. You go to the show. And that was the way that we were instructed back in the day when wrestling was important and profitable and fun for everyone. And I don't know how the fuck now that I, you know, we've talked about when I'd have a cold and we were doing TV. And when I go back, the, the folks that tweet the clips from the Saturday night TBS shows back in the eighties on this day and such and such, and it'll be an interview with me. And I haven't seen those things in ages and I'll spend two minutes of my time, right? Watching me. But I can tell when I was sick because I'm talking a little slower. My voice is a little deeper. And you can tell, because we've talked about this. What did the, one of the viewers asked the question, well, what'd you do, Cornette, when you were sick? You had a cold, you couldn't do a promo or whatever. There, that's how I ruined my voice, because I did the fucking promos anyway when I was sick. Pushing air through the vocal cords, scarring, damaging fucking the whole nine yards. Mick Foley did the same thing in a different fashion when he used to do that that squeal, right, that he stole off of Terry Funk. Well, nobody steals anything. That he appropriated the concept of from Terry Funk. You know where Terry used to go, pig, pig, sell you pig, when he's slapping guys around and he was a maniac and mankind used to do that high-pitched squeal, which I'm not going to try to do now. And he fucked his vocal cords up. And it's the same thing when I used to try to be heard in a 10,000-seat building. I wanted the people in the top row to hear me yelling at them, right? But it's even worse when you've got, instead of just a cold, when you've got more of a flu or some kind of infection, and, you know, you add in the involuntary bowel movements and all that stuff. But even (laughs) 10, 12 years ago, when I was doing Ring of Honor for Sinclair, right? We shot all the TV in Baltimore. There was, we would go to, I would, I would drive up from Louisville to Baltimore on like a Thursday. And then all day Friday would be the pre-tape and interviews and local promos and, you know, uh, pre-production for the taping. And then on Saturday, we'd do four one-hour TV programs in the same night. And then on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, sometimes Wednesday, if there was a Y in it, we would do post-production at the TV station in Baltimore on the shows. And my involvement in that obviously was that as soon as I got there, I'd start looking at the raw footage and I would log it, which means that you go through and you watch and you have a time code reader that reads you an exact time code down to the frame on the video you're watching. And if anybody, you know, if there's a fucked up move you want to take out, put a crowd shot over it. Or if there's a bad camera switch or if somebody says something stupid on an interview, you want to take it out. Or just if there's a goddamn rotten match, you need to shorten up or somebody went long, whatever you have to log the exact numbers to get in and get out and how to cover it, cover with crowd, switch to camera two, find ISO, whatever the case And then you turn it over to the editors and you supervise the editing while they're doing what you've marked. And that way the program comes out on time. 
whoever said stupid shit doesn't look any stupider than they have to. The matches are, nobody does anything phony, obviously, without being covered up, etc. right? You polish the show. And it takes to log a 45-minute program, which is, you know, basically we were 48 minutes without commercials. Um, it takes three or four hours because you got to sit there and roll back and find the exact spot. And then if you have, if you're still over time, you got to find places to cut or if you're under time. So me doing it with the experience of 20 years, three or four hours for each show. And I got sick one time. The fr the Wednesday I was ab about to fucking leave Wednesday evening. I'm getting sick. Well, I ain't got time to go to the doctor. Got to drive to Baltimore. Drive to Baltimore 600 miles. Do a whole day of promos and pre-production on Friday and et cetera. And then Saturday, I'm really feeling it. And I've got to go to the show. And of course, being as I was the technically the highest ranking wrestling person, naturally I'm the first one in the building. It, I remember it used to be that all of us fucking stooges and simpletons and the underneath guys, they got there plenty early to make sure that everybody saw they were there on time. And the boss, whether it be Dusty or Watts or whoever the fuck, wandered in just any old rabbit-ass time they wanted to. Somehow that switched over the years, and I was there first, and I'd be the one flipping the fucking light switch on in the locker room, looking around, where's the fucking talent? Where's all my, where's all my stars, as Jimsy would say? And, of course, I was leaving there. Nobody ever left a Ring of Honor TV taping later than me and Delirious, except for the actual technical crew that still had stuff to tear down. But all the boys were going, it's midnight. It was so late, even on a Saturday night when I'd leave that building, I'd have to fucking call ahead in the car on my cell phone to order a fucking pizza, which was the only thing that I could find open at that time to be delivered to my hotel room. I still was on the way to and hoping I beat it. So by the time I get up on Sunday to go down there to that TV station, start logging that footage, I am full fledged. It turned out I was diagnosed. I had a sinus infection and bronchitis by the time I got home. So I'm sure that they loved, I sat in a corner in the edit suite or spent time in the logging bay by myself as much as possible. And I'm sure they just loved me spraying all my germs all over everybody. But we got to the point where I could, I got finished with the work that I had to do. And, you know, Mark Davis, the, the editor and everybody could take over and I could leave and go home. And I left on Tuesday. And this is going to be the fucking, hopefully, hilarious finale to this story. I'm driving 600 miles back from Baltimore to fucking Louisville. I have not had a good night's sleep in four or five days. Plus, I've lost my voice completely trying to talk and pitch the finishes and run through the show for four hours of TV on Saturday in the ring with the guys. I actually had to have them huddle up even closer to me because my voice wouldn't project where they could hear me. So I'm sure I've fucking infected half the goddamn wrestling world. And I'm in the car, and I've got about half I'm time to Clarksburg, West Virginia. And I've got a big old Kleenex box on a car seat next to me because I'm blowing my nose constantly because it's just fucking dripping, and I'm sneezing, and I'm coughing, and I got the bronchitis and the phlegm. 
And who knows what my blood pressure is because I haven't taken my blood pressure medicine in almost a week because it makes me piss constantly. And I can't be pissing every 30 minutes on the side of the road in hoo-ha, West Virginia, or while I'm trying to do finishes or whatever the fuck. So my blood pressure's off the charts. I sneezed hard, then blew my nose, got into a coughing fit, and strained myself so bad my nose starts gushing blood. And... Brian, have you ever been around me during one of my nosebleeds? No, thankfully. You would love it. I've had nosebleeds (laughs) since I was a little kid. I had them more when I was a kid. They've gone away over the past 10 or 15 years. Blood pressure medicine probably has helped, but it wasn't even related to that. When I was a, before I was even a teenager, I had my nose cauterized like twice. They used to do that for nosebleed prone kids. Never fucking worked. Miserable procedure. Don't wreck. Do they still do it? I don't fucking know. Um, and when, you know, when I'm sick, when the weather's dry or I'm, you know, my nose is dried out when I'm straining, whatever, I still, that's why it, in the back seat with the Midnight Express one time on the way to Houston, I got a goddamn gusher of a nosebleed and it made Bobby Eaton so fucking ill that Dennis Condry was laughing at him. Until I kept bleeding, and then Dennis even got worried. And Dennis is not a worrisome sort. He pulled over the side of the road at this fucking, we're in the middle of southern Louisiana, at this gas station who had a bathroom that looked like it was in a fucking rundown state park in a bad part of fucking town, right? Just fucking concrete and a hose. And I'm trying to stop, and it looks like now I've, you know, murdered somebody in that bathroom, and Bobby comes in and says, Corny, do we need to call an ambulance? I said, no, this happens all the time. I'll be all right. And once it would bleed out, I'd get a little weak, then I'd be able to stop it up. It would clot up. and then, So anyway, but now I'm alone in the car. And now, and I'm trying to drive down, anybody that's ever been down 79 between Clarksburg and and uh, Charleston, West Virginia. I know I've just tickled Stephen P. New. It's hard to drive with both hands because you're going down the mountain and around the curves. Well, now I'm not only hardly able to breathe, I'm coughing constantly. My nose is gushing blood. I'm driving with my left hand. I got my right hand shoved with all the Kleenexes I can muster up into my nose. But every once in a while, you got to move and the blood's seeping out. I've got a great Muta scale level juice job going on on my chest. The, my whole T-shirt is red. The fucking tops of my thighs, my lap, the whole nine yards. Down my right arm is fucking covered in blood. And all over my face. Plus, my eyes are bloodshot. And I look at myself in the mirror and I go, my God, how am I going to stop this? Because I've got to get out of this car to stop the but if I get out, I will they will call police on me. Anybody who witnesses me right now will call the police on site because I've been involved in something with somebody. It looks like just say it was the Rock was, and Roll Express. Well, they couldn't tell who the fuck I was. So anyway, I'd like it instantly now. But anyway, so I finally figure out that one, there's one of these rest areas on the side of the interstate. There's nobody, because it's West Virginia in between Clarksburg and Charleston. You might as well be in goddamn the Amazonian rainforest, right? 
but they have to have a state mandated rest area every so often, but there's nobody, I can't get off at an exit, go in a fast food place or whatever the fuck, right? There's no way I can be around people. So I get in the goddamn rest area and there's one car and I'm thinking, will I run across this motherfucker on the way? And just then this poor old lady comes out and, and she's using a walker to get to her little old fucking VW Beetle she's driving. And I'm like, lady, would you hurry? I'm about to bleed to death. I got to get in there to some water. And then she's, and finally she pulls out and I was able to run in there carrying my, dragging my suitcase behind me with my right hand still up over my fucking face, but get some wet paper towels and get in a stall and change some shit and wipe some shit off and then get to the sink and plug myself up. And, uh, before any civilians witnessed me or I potentially would have gone to fucking jail in West Virginia, where then I would have had to retain Stephen P. New because everybody knows they mistreat the prisoners over there in the jails in West Virginia. They would have had to test everything. They would have had to have found out whose blood was all over you. Well, I'll tell you one thing. Somebody that came in, because I didn't have time to, and I didn't have my cleaning kit to really do a great mop-up job in there. So somebody probably came in after me and thought that there had been a crime committed. If that was you and and you were damaged and have PTSD, please call newlawoffice.com, 888-whatever. Anyway, so the point is, how the fuck... Did I have the dedication, and all of us have the dedication, guys, all the guys that have gone and worked hurt and sick and been, we've, I'd never, for a 10-year period, I was never actually on Christmas Day or Thanksgiving Day at home with any of my family while some of them were still alive. Um, how did we have that much dedication for what we did at that point only to see it turn into the fucking slapdash amateurish childishness that nobody gives two pisses about today i guess is where i was going with that yeah it would be like if one of the great theater actors showed up and the first films they saw were the three stooges and they were told this is everything now accept it there's nothing but this embrace it and I like the Three Stooges. The then the the phrase "the show must go on" would have never perpetrated if if there was really no reason for the show to go on. Is well, this your show? This has been the Jim Cornette Experience, ladies and gentlemen. Is this? <laughs> no, no, not again. Oh no, he's muted himself this time. He's learned his lesson. Hopefully you've learned yours. Listen to the drive-thru each and every week, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Jimmy, you alive over there? Okay. I don't know what that was. I got a was. spit bucket here, just in oh, case. Oh, that um, is what that was. Okay. All right, so I said we're going to turn the show over to the people a bit here at the top of the program. I what One of the things I did, since I didn't have the the energy or the wind power to get up and move around the house, I could sit down and actually look at some emails. Because it's been busy with the with our schedule and with the merchandise, the whole nine yards, haven't the remodel, the landscapers have not looked at emails lately. I know a lot of people think that I must just not like them because I don't answer I don't answer almost any emails because I don't have time. But I don't read at least for a while, probably about fifty percent of them. See, that's the that's another one of the problems because by the time that I realize shit, it's been a month since I've looked 
well, then you can only go back so far. You don't have to. Well, I went back a, a, a few weeks and just want to recognize some people because it's not there. They, uh, like I said, I feel bad when, when we recognize one person or send condolences or greetings or salutations or commendations or whatever. And somebody else sends an email in and, and then we say nothing. I, I, I think we're, we're running those people off. We're creating a, a Mexican joker from South Park. We're, we're giving some of super villain a backstory here. Well, who the fuck are you not to talk about me when you talked about him? You know what I just realized? You could say the most awful thing in the world and don't do it. I'm just saying as a concept that could happen. If you end it with on South Park, it makes it a little more acceptable. (laughs) Well, you saw that episode. Oh, I forgot. You're not a South Parker. I have not watched since like 98, 99. No. (sighs) You create Mexican Joker (laughs) when you give a super villain the reason for his backstory because it was one of the episodes where they were talking about how they mistreat the poor immigrants. And, and, you know, one of those Mexican kids is going to remember and be highly fucking pissed at the way he was treated by the supposed greatest country in the world, the United States of America. And we're going to create Mexican Joker. He's going to become a super villain and he's going to fucking come back to get even. So I don't want to create any fucking Mexican jokers. Who's your favorite on-screen joker i thought you were gonna say who's my favorite mexican joker no i'm on a mexican on south park radio i'm on it who was that that was um, oh, Mr. music tim, business tim buck three was that it no that was my future so bright i got oh, that's right those idiots yeah um hey wall of voodoo wall of voodoo i think was it mexican radio there you go all right well, you didn't answer my question. Your favorite oh, on-screen. Oh, what was your question? Oh, the, the Joker. On-screen. Well, Cesar Romero was the only one. What about Nicholson? Well, I guess, you know, he stepped into Caesar's shoes when Caesar got too old. But I'm, I'm, the movies are okay, but it's goddamn Batman is fucking Adam West. Robin is Burt Ward for all his faults and shortcomings. The Penguin is Burgess Meredith. The Joker is Caesar Romero. Now, Catwoman gets interesting because everybody has their, their fucking ideas, but I'm, I'm honestly, you know, here's the thing. The portrayal of Eartha Kitt was probably most Catwoman-ish. She got into it more because the, the white girls, they were just fucking being themselves dressed up in a costume, but Eartha Kitt became a cat, which is kind of funny because of her name. See? Her name's Eartha Kit, not Eartha Cat. Yeah, but she became a Kit Cat. <laughs> so anyway, our first email. <laughs> All right, that answered nothing, but let's go to our first email. Ah, uh, let me go to the spit bucket. Oh, no. Mute yourself. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Uh, this is... All right, now, like, goddamn, let's, here we go back to the fucking Casey Kasem transition, because these are going to be serious here, a couple of them, and you can't, now people are going to be, well, now, fuck. I can be serious. Can you be serious? That's the question. I'm, I'm trying. Uh, seriously ill, possibly. Adam from Carp- Carpentersville, Illinois. Carpentersville, Illinois. That's like a, there's a town in North Carolina called Rutherfordton. 
And on the side, it just looks so odd, and, and there's such an extraneous... It, we always called it Rutherfordtonville Borough. It just never ended. But anyway, Carpentersville, Illinois. Um, and again, now we're trying to straighten up here because these are our listeners. Adam writes that he lost his father to cancer in 2018, just before Christmas. So it's coming up on the four years. And he says, he, I honestly don't think I'd be here today without the laughs and insight that you two give us. My condolences to Brian. That's part of the reason I was reading this, because obviously, Brian, you've just come through a situation like this. My condolences to Brian and his family at this very difficult time. And he, Adam just wanted, to know, wanted us to know that we are appreciated worldwide. And I get in that maybe that's even better than being loved or feared or even known is just appreciated worldwide. More positive. Uh, and Ryan from Dumfries, Scotland, uh, wanted to write us and, and thank us also for making 2022 bearable. Uh, he works in Southwest Scotland. He's got a job as a healthcare and support worker for the NHS, which for the, our domestic audience in the United States is the National Health Service that everybody in the United Kingdom has where they don't pay for their medical care because it's a civilized country. Um, Brian and his partner Megan have been depressed at times lately because he recently lost his mother to pneumonia. She was only 57. Uh, but he's been trying to listen to the shows, take his mind off of things. And, you know, it's it's the holiday season, and we're having a lot of this, obviously. We get a, a lot of these emails, and I'm not reading them in a self-serving fashion, but to recognize these people and to show that this, and there's going to be a punchline on this a little while when we get to Jacked Up Jeremy. But our listeners, I think, Brian, being serious, more than a lot of shows they're a, they're a group. They're a cult in a good way. We support each other, and we have you know the the folks that do the fundraising efforts and the folks that jump on and send condolences when they hear something bad's happened to somebody else. And one of the other listeners, uh, Tom from Wichita, who is now residing in Huntsville, Bagot, Alabama, birth town, birthplace, hometown of Bobby Eaton. Uh, his father Ron passed away in late October. And wrestling was something that they bonded over. As a matter of fact, they went to the Kemper Arena in Kansas City pay-per-view in May of 1999. Obviously, everybody knows which one that I'm talking about. And they were shocked, obviously, when they left and that they had gone on with the show. But then, of course, you know, Tom grew up and real life and adult life intervened. And by the time that things settled down to where he could start going back to wrestling again with his dad. It had become, as he says, a shadow of its former self. So Tom concludes with, he was an air force veteran who served in Vietnam. And I'm so grateful he lived to see me both join and retire from the air force as well. And I wanted to thank you and Brian for your podcast that I've been a long time listener of your thoughts echo exactly why my father and I quit watching wrestling together. Um, and Alex, because we can't forget our four-legged friends. Alex wrote to say that his dog Spunky had to 
crossed the Rainbow Bridge uh, back at the end of November. He was 16 years, one month, and three days old. And he writes about Spunky that he was a very obedient, polite, and disciplined dog that had limitless energy well into his elder years. But he had arthritis and pancreatitis, and uh, they had to make it easier for him. But, um, but Alex, we're sorry for your loss. And one more of this, these from Chad. Hello, Jim and Brian, mostly Jim, he starts out. He talks about being an old AWA fan and going, he's from North Dakota, which settles that talk we were having earlier is a few weeks ago about why was there never any territory in North Dakota? It was basically one end of the AWA and maybe the other end from Stampede or something because there's no people in North Dakota. Um, But the AWA uh, did run back in the day and, and, uh, you know, he's a longtime fan, but Chad's son was diagnosed with cancer at the age of six. And Chad's been listening to the programs that uh, got him through that time because his son is now five years cancer free. After some very difficult times, he says chemo and surgery, they actually took a bone from his leg and put it in his arm and then blasted him with chemotherapy. But his son liked listening to the programs also when he was going through treatments. And now, wait a minute, by the way, remember, this is like a six to 10-year-old kid, but Chad said he loved the cursing. The quote was, Dad, he talks just like you. So, Chad, you didn't mention what your son's name was, but he's the man, and he rocks, and we're glad that he's feeling better. But the whole reason... Besides the fact I wanted to recognize those people, uh, and I mentioned that the cult is such a great group and they're charitable and they give a shit about people is because, again, our friend jacked up Jeremy Bagley, who, by the way, wrote an email that I will paraphrase because I didn't see it. It was from a few weeks ago, but after the mass shooting in... God, it was Colorado Springs. There's so many, they just blur, but at the at the gay nightclub, uh, he had written another or had written an email just expressing support and his shock and sadness and outrage at another targeted mass shooting and his support for the other LGBTQ members of the cult, which Jeremy, in addition to being a, a veteran war veteran, service member, uh, OG member of the cult of Cornette, a successful businessman and friend of furry woodland creatures, also is a member of that fraternity or sorority, or I don't know what the fuck it is, group, um, what the term would be. But now Jeremy Bagley has started another cancer fundraiser. He did one before in honor of Dennis Condry uh, beating his cancer and now he started another cancer fundraiser brian in honor of your father and you know it just he i want to read this the description to show you what kind of a guy that and and jeremy is shepherding this but then john fell in baltimore lee petrie hot rod rodney esty and stacy as the 
cult of cornet liaison to the uh, administration there. Uh, they're working on this together. It was Jeremy's instigation. And the description of this on the, and I'll, I don't know how to give the link verbally, raiseyourway.donordrive.com slash blah, blah, blah. So if everybody, if you want to go to Jeremy Bagley's Twitter at Jacked Up Jeremy, he's got links all over the place, but it's a fundraiser for the American Cancer Society. And uh, basically, uh, he says, we're raising money for the American Cancer Society in honor of the great Brian Last Father who recently passed. We're asking for donations in the amount of $6.05, but anything you can spare is appreciated. We're running this campaign from December 12th through the end of Hanukkah, which is December 26th this year, and when we're finished, we'll mail a giant check to Brian and his family as a symbolic <laughs> gesture of your support. And hey, Jeremy, these giant checks are a big deal to Jeremy. Because it was like, I've, geez, I can't remember the exact amount on the Midnight Express check, which I, I I ended up in possession of. I think I was the only one not flying out that day. Uh, but when he raised, my God, six or $7,000 directly and thousands more with people donating as well for a couple of years ago for that, for the Midnight. But at any rate, uh. So we appreciate everything that you guys do and how you support uh, us and or other people and other listeners of the shows when they're going through bad times also. And if you can uh, find it in your heart to suffer through having a look at Jeremy Bagley's picture to find his Twitter and hit the link and contribute to this, it would be a lovely thing. That's all I'm saying. And that's very nice of him, and I really do appreciate it. My family appreciates it, and uh, thank you to everyone involved, especially Stacy and John Fell and, and everyone who's contributed. I want to mention one other thing, if, I, if you don't mind. Yes. Another charity my father actually was a big believer in is one called Locks of Love. A few years back, he grew his hair out again, and he cut it all off to donate it to children who need hair. Oh, so, okay. I've heard about that. I thought when you said Locks of Love, I thought you were, you know, it's next to the bagel place. It's called Locks of Love, L-O-C-K-S, Locks of Love, not Locks as in Locks on a Bagel, which sounds delicious right about now. But uh, check that out if you're so inclined to grow your hair and donate it to children in need. I wish I, wish I could just grow my hair anymore. I'll, I'll find another way to contribute. I don't know if... Maybe, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> shit, Harley, Harley just got a trim. And she's got all kinds of hair. Uh, we should have saved it. But anyway, all right, speaking of all kinds of hair, that's as good a transition as any to this uh, next email. I just, hold on, I want to try to keep my files in order here. We uh, Here's an update from one of the listeners on something we just spoke about not long ago, which, of course, was the arrest of that menace to society, that noted criminal... FBI's most wanted number one, uh, Greasy Grimy Grover, the outlaw mud show garbage wrestler, who got arrested and taken to jail after he was found passed out in a car and administered Narcan too because he had snorted 10 bags of heroin. Because we were saying, I believe, Brian, you might remember that, well, goddamn, he was just he was just running a GoFundMe for himself where pe regular people, everyday people, civilians with lives and children and responsibilities were asked and expected 
to donate money to a GoFundMe to help this guy because he allowed another fat, bearded, pierced nitwit to fucking pick him upside down on top of a ladder and drop him through various numbers of fluorescent light tubes headfirst to the floor below, where amazingly enough, he was injured. And and he wanted then people to pay for his obviously totally unavoidable accident and the surgeries and et cetera that followed you know, when in, in, because there's no hungry children and no needy animals and no diseases that need cured. And I said, well, you know, he had he raised like ten thousand dollars from these people and had GoFundMe. I said, well, he he snorted ten bags of heroin. I said, well, he snorted his GoFundMe. How much is a fucking bag of heroin, right? You didn't know. I figured out your music connections. That might be something you're. On top of like the nah. fucking Dow Jones Industrial Average. I was more into uppers. Well, I'm not saying you yourself. I'm saying for you to keep control of all of the oh oh the you know the the artists and the talented people that the, you know you former music industry executives had under your thumb. You'd want to know how much it was going to cost you to get a put the monkey on their back, have them beholden to the H. Keep going. All right, anyway. Any other nicknames so, you know for heroin? Well, I'm trying to think of all the fucking Seinfeld J. Peterman episodes that I, <laughs> <laughs> when Elaine was eating the poppy seeds and and guy kept getting popped on the drug test. But anyway, aside, and amazingly enough, a lot of members of our audience apparently know better than we did about what the retail is on heroin these days. And it wasn't as much as I would have said, okay, heroin all my life from the time that I used to watch Dragnet when I was just a little nipper, five, six years old. Heroin is like the main event drug. Heroin is the big deal. You people, heroin, it's like you say, you know, Londos, Thez, Samartino, heroin, you know, he's Coltrane. No, <laughs> go ahead. Well, there you go. You know, every heroin's the one that fucked everybody. Right. And heroin is supposed to. So I figured heroin would be the most expensive of, of your, your drugs. Right. Apparently not. This is what I'm finding out now. There's one particular email here, but we got comments on Twitter and we got emails and whatever the fuck, but this is from Sharon. I was listening to you talk about the arrest of Grover, the outlaw wrestler, and mentioned that he was caught with 10 bags of heroin. Actually, I don't think he wasn't caught with it. I think he said he snorted that, but they caught him with the heroin and the methamphetamine and the, the, uh, alprazolam and the failure to keep right and the expired tags and the whole nine yards. So she says, caught with 10 bags. One bag costs probably five bucks, maybe 10, depending on where he gets it from and what's cut into it. They are teeny little bags, and 10 is honestly about average for what my clients use at a time. Now, wait a minute. Whoa. Let's back up. Before you have any bad feelings about Sharon, she is a counselor at an inpatient treatment program. Okay, so that's with my clients. Now we have a different perspective on it. Because I did the same. like, wait a minute. Um, and Alprazolam, by the way, imagine this, is Xanax. I knew it was a generic prescription name for, for something, but it's Xanax, which, well, I never read the fine print on the bottle when I'm, every 20 years I'm getting on a plane. I just drink the whole goddamn 
bottled out. But anyway, she says, I'm not surprised a lot of the deathmatch wrestlers are hooked on opiates. People with opiate problems try to fake medical problems a lot, so going out and intentionally getting hurt like that is a good way to help feed your habit. Good strategy. Which makes me start to think about something. Because everybody has been saying, oh, well, no wonder all those deathmatch wrestlers get hooked on drugs and heroin and pain pills and everything because look what they do to themselves because it's a it's in the real professional wrestling industry in the legitimate professional wrestling industry obviously pain pills for the past 30 years or whatever have become an issue and that is because of the damage that you suffer as a professional wrestler that you go through in a lot of cases uh, that's the, in uh, probably almost all the cases, that's the start of anybody's dependence in the legitimate professional wrestling industry on pain pills or pharmaceuticals. But now I've never thought about it this way. And this might explain some shit. The death, the garbage wrestlers, do they become garbage wrestlers, deathmatch wrestlers? Because they're already drug addicts and they want to, they feel, well, fuck it. I got to figure out a way to hurt myself. So somebody will pay me something to do to myself what I'm about to try to do anyway. So I can go to the fucking hospital and get more drugs. Does that explain why that they're already, they've damaged their brains. They're addicted to drugs already. They're fucking on the lower dregs of society to begin with and have no marketable skills and or fucking hope in life. So they become garbage match wrestlers to hurt themselves on purpose. And instead of doing it for free, somebody will give them 50 bucks for it. And then they can go and get more fucking pain pills. I think we're onto something. Junkie wrestling. We're on to something. You know, you said something before. You thought the shit that fucked you up would be the expensive stuff. The stuff that always does the most societal damage is the cheap shit. Cocaine didn't really fuck up society. Crack cocaine did. And heroin's cheap. People get hooked on it and they throw away their whole life just funding it nonstop all day. But, I, you know, I've just never sat down to think, but it seemed to me that the the stronger the drug or the more dangerous the drug or the more illicit the drug or the, you know, whatever, the more mistake, that would be the expensive, the harder to get. You know, the whole nine yards, it's, it's counterintuitive. Weed's legal in 35 fucking states and, and a, you know, a bag of it's a couple hundred bucks and fucking heroin is illegal everywhere and it's cheap as shit. That don't make no good sense. Well, relatively cheap. Again, you're talking, I mean, I'm not a heroin expert, but I've read several books. I have. I read a lot about punk rock and I've read William Burroughs and everything else. So I guess it's just, it's a substance. It's just a little bit of it. That's all you, I don't know what we're talking about here. Well, wait a minute. So you mean you used to do a little, but a little didn't get it till a little got more and more. Is that what you're saying? That's not what I'm saying, but I think that song, in fact, is about heroin. Mr. Brownstone. Well, in that, he, well, no, that was, that was actually Axl Rose's uncle that used to live in a brownstone. That's what that was about. He was a big fan of Dick the Bruiser. 
Yes, he was. He was. Axel's from Indiana. Um, what is that town? God damn it! What's the town he's from? I don't know. There's like two towns. I don't know. It's not no, Evansville. There's more, than, there's more than two towns in Indiana. There's just not any people in most of them. But you know, Brian, most people don't want to have surgery. It's not a. Uh, it's not a pleasant experience. Nothing about the thing is really something you'd plan for a vacation, but there are certain things you can do to take matters in your own hands to make having surgery more pleasant. Have you ever prepped your own self for surgery? I have not, no. Well, you need to do that because what they do is, depending on what part of you they're operating on. Now, let's say, for example, you know, they're giving you a colonoscopy. There's no reason to shave anything. But if I've had a couple of hernia surgeries and they worked on my knees quite a bit, especially down there on the hernia surgery. They will shave you. When you go into the hospital, they'll shave you, and they will do it with implements that you've never seen before, and you've never seen the operator, and you don't have a personal relationship, and they look sharp, and they're in a sensitive area. So what I figured out after the first time, I always prep myself. I'll shave myself slicker than come on a gold tooth in the area in which they're going to be operating and perusing so that nobody else has to do anything to it. It's all right there ready for it. That's a good idea, ain't it? After the first time, how many times have you gone in for this? Well, you know, then I just started doing it on a regular basis just to make sure I was always ready. But I'll tell you what, folks, if you want to shave your crotch to prepare for surgery or just to prepare for fun times over the holidays, well, then you need to check out our friends at Manscaped. Because by cracky, it's never too early to start thinking about Christmas gifts or cleaning your crotch. So whether it's for a friend or the friend in your pants, you can make this season jolly with Manscaped. You can do your little drummer boy a favor and use that lawnmower 4.0 to avoid another silent night in the bedroom. That's exactly what this copy says. But I'll tell you what, you're going to have people thinking, all I want for Christmas is you if Santa cares about his sack. And that's exactly what the Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 will allow you to do, is care for your sack. The one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all and the man who has too much of it. It's got everything, including the Lawnmower 4.0 body trimmer, the Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer, so you can get hair off of every surface and all of the orifices. Well, I wouldn't advise taking that Weed Whacker nose and ear hair trimmer south of the border and inserting it, but it's up to you depending on what type of foliage you have. But the Lawnmower 4.0 does a heck of a job of at least... Uh, mowing the shoulders of the Hershey Highway. And there's a 4,000K LED light on it, so you can backlight all of that stuff and, and you can mow it down. Then the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Ball Toner can solve those odor problems all day long. No longer will your friends and neighbors and loved ones be able to smell you coming halfway down the road. Instead, you will be spreading holiday cheer with a leer. And for the perfect stocking stuffer, add in the brand new body buffer. It's an incredible body scrubber that makes exfoliating easy. You can exfoliate all the foliage 
that you need with the brand new body buffer. Go to manscaped.com slash JCE right now, and you're going to get 20% off and free shipping. 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com slash JCE right now to get your jingle balls ready for the holidays. And then, of course, New Year's where they drop the ball. What do you think if Manscaped was to sponsor Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve, would they start dropping two balls? I don't know how to answer this. No. All right. Well, let's let's move on from they balls. They would focus on the one ball that's been established for a hundred something years. Well, what it what it's the year two thousand and twenty-two, about to be two thousand and twenty-three. Out with the old, in with the new. Shouldn't we, for the second millennium or whatever, shouldn't we have two balls? Don't you think if they were going to add two balls, if we're going to go with this stupid fucking issue that we're talking about, if they were going to add two balls to the ball dropping in Times Square on New Year's Eve, wouldn't they have done it for the year 2022 with three twos in it? They wouldn't do it for 2023. Too late. they They missed their opportunity, but they should do it for the, they should have done it for the year 2000, 2002 balls. And every 1,000 years, they add another ball. Were you afraid of Y2K? Fuck Jericho. Not Jericho. When they were I saying... I could stretch him. <laughs> could I wasn't he... afraid of him. Let, him. let him do his worst. Could Chris Jericho get out of your sugar hold? Absolutely not. Hey, I t- not if I got it on him. I tell you what, Tommy Rogers couldn't. Wouldn't I, as a rib, Dennis Condry taught me the sugar hold. And, and then we're in like, fuck it, where was it? It was Homa, Louisiana. It's a six-man tag. Me and Bobby Eaton, Dennis Condry against the Fantastics and Hacksaw Duggan. And for a fucking rib on Tommy, there was a spot in the match where they'd stop Tommy and they'd get him down. And then they'd tag me in and I'd get on him and I'd either choke him or punch him or whatever, get some heat on him. And as he started bowing back up, I'd, oh, and I'd run and tag back out. Well, as soon as they tagged me in, he's laying there waiting for me to drop an elbow on him or kick him or whatever. And I slipped in and I fucking put the sugar on him before he knew what the fuck. I, and then he's like, what the fuck? And I, and I cinched up as Dennis taught me with the, the three-point stance there. And Tommy's like, all right, shooter, I can't get out. But where are we going from here? I said, I guess nowhere, because now i got to let you out, don't I? He said, yes, and you better be quick. And I got the fuck out of there before he got a hold of me. Because if I had let go and hung around, I would have got stretched back, because Tommy could take care of himself. I wouldn't have got it on him if he hadn't let me first before he knew what the fuck I was doing. What were we talking about? Homo, Louisiana. No, I don't think that would Y2K. Y2K. Oh, you mean the the virus? The alleged virus. The alleged virus. No. Because you know, I I knew how to do things manually. And I would enjoy, had have enjoyed it even then if internet technology had gone all to shit. People rely too much on that. Smart technology is too ignorant to put uh, your full confidence in. If you look at your lifetime, what do you think is the ideal year in terms of technology that you accept, that you think this is it, everything's fine, don't go forward? Uh, well, now, let's see. 
When okay, when they when they came out with a home video cassette recorder with perfect head editing and flying erase heads, 1984. That was perfect. All righty then. All righty then. I have another email because this is another topic we've been talking about lately. Uh, remember, as he says, as a matter of fact, oh shit. This wasn't lately. This email's from October. But still, remember when we were talking about George Washington having wooden teeth and and talking about why did the people back then wear powdered wigs? Yes. Well, now we're going to (laughs) know. This is from Jake from Cincinnati, not Jake from State Farm. Mr. Cornette and Mr. Co-host, thank you both for giving me an opportunity to put my hard-earned history degree that I earned from a small college right up the road from Jim to good use. On the most recent episode of The Experience, back in October, the topics of George Washington's teeth and the use of powdered wigs came up, and I had my fingers crossed hoping the two of you could come up with the right answer, and of course we did not. Contrary to popular belief, George Washington's teeth were not made of wood. That's what I said. That's exactly what I said. Well, you didn't come up with all the answers here. Well, that one. I don't remember all this. I came up with that one. I didn't come up with it. I knew that one. Well, he gives details. While it is true that he suffered from dental problems his whole life, Washington had a set of dentures that fell well within the sanitary and moral standards of the era. This, of course, meant the teeth were made of brass, lead, gold, and also a combination of teeth from animals and other, parenthetically, probably enslaved human beings. Powdered wigs, on the other hand, are much funnier because wigs consisted of natural fibers in that era. Applying oil or powder was necessary to keep it clean. The concept of the traditional powdered wig originated in France in the 17th century when King Louis Thirteenth had to add those up, wore a wig to cover his bald spot. Due to the rampant spread of syphilis throughout Europe in that period, baldness was unavoidably linked to the sexually transmitted disease. The trend caught on amongst the upper classes of French society, and to wear one was considered a sign of one's elite status. There's a line there somewhere, but... I don't have an STD. I have a wig with powder. Well, the thing is, they don't powder their wigs. They just have powder their pussies, the elite. He goes on to say, I believe the association with judges and powdered wigs stems from the insatiable sex drives that men of high status in England, many of whom were lawyers and legislators, possessed, and therefore many of them desired to cover their baldness as fashionably as possible. And he's uh, offering to be our history consultant. That's Jake from Cincinnati. Well, there you go. That's what became, why the powdered wig came about. According to Cincinnati. We'll see what we can confirm. Well, he went to school. Where? He's done book learning. He's done the the book learning. The insatiable sex drive of the judges. What? Well, you know, men back in those <laughs> days had insatiable sex drive. Unlike those peasants who didn't want to fuck. Everyone, uh, what? I don't understand. What? <laughs> well, hey, if you were a peasant in the Middle Ages and we've talked about the hygiene, maybe maybe you didn't want to fuck just everybody. If I was a peasant in the Middle Ages, that may be all I'm doing. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you could fuck a, a person that smells like a goat, or you can fuck a goat. Because there go, wasn't any law against the two there. I wasn't saying that. I was saying I can go work with the blacksmith, or I can go, you know, fuck behind the bush or something. I would <laughs> go with that. In the Middle Ages. Back in the Middle Ages, that's all they did was just fuck behind bushes. <laughs> they, they shit in the streets. See, I wouldn't want to so, do that either. So so do I sometimes when there's no... All right, one more email. Um, Because this is going so well. <laughs> hey, well, we're going to change time. This is actually about wrestling now, though. But this is a very pithy comment from Matthew. Matthew from... He doesn't say where he's from. But this is a comparison. It's an observation on the current state of wrestling. Because we've been talking about the difference in the way that the boys think about the business now versus the way that they used to. And some of them still do like the old days, but not many. Well, Matthew postulates this theory. Many inside wrestling fans see, know, and understand the difference between wrestlers who treat the business as a sport and wrestlers who treat the business as an art. Guys like Omega, the Bucks, and others feel as though what they do in the ring is art akin to Mozart, Shakespeare, or Kubrick. Wrestlers like Punk, FTR, and others try to portray wrestling as a sport where wins and losses matter and being on top and making money is what counts. The former is trying to impress the audience with their skill while the latter is trying to have the audience invest in them so they will keep paying to see them over and over. The artists have made it clear that match ratings, particularly from Uncle Dave, are very important to them. Getting a five, six, or ten-star match is a real feather in their cap. The wrestlers are interested in selling tickets and drawing money. You've often compared the artistic wrestlers to gymnasts, and it couldn't be truer. These wrestlers want to get the high-star ratings similar to a gymnast trying to gain favor with the judges. On the other side... The serious pros look at wrestling like any boxer or MMA fighter would. It's all about being one of, if not the, top draws for the company. The thing is, the general public only cares about watching gymnasts every four years while boxing and MMA draw every single month. When is the last time gymnastics drew 18,000 in an arena in a major U.S. city? When is gymnastics drew $1 million on pay-per-view? Wrestling is an art, but you never heard guys like Flair, Austin Hart, etc. talk about it in those terms. Those guys are legends because they made fans invest in them as wrestlers. That is the art of wrestling, making people believe and keeping them coming back for more even though they know pro wrestling is predetermined. Not everyone is Flair, Austin, or Hart, but the idea that fans can't invest in wrestlers like they used to is absurd especially when you have a guy like MJF around who is absolute money. The guy's been in the business a relatively short amount of time, but is one of the top stars because he understands what it's about. In a world where everyone knows that pro wrestling is fake, he's one of the few people that elicits a real response. There's no doubt in my mind that in 20 to 30 years, he'll be considered as one of the all-time greats. If we're around in 20 or 30 years, wrestling. And he finally, uh, or I should say he, too many pronouns, pal, Matthew, finally goes uh, on to close saying, I don't think the same can be said about Omega and other artist wrestlers who are more interested in catering to their audience rather than expanding it amongst the general public. That's a pretty 
That's pretty good email. A pretty on point summation. It's these guys have decided of that ilk of this generation, whatever, have decided that, oh, we just want everybody to know that we're special like this and we can perform like this rather than looking at it like, how can I get the most amount of people to be into me and want to pay to see me and perpetuate this as long as possible? Anyway. It's interesting to think about how many people get involved. How many people become wrestlers now because they want to have matches? Because they just want to go in there and do what they have seen on TV or seen can't say videotape anymore, seen on yep. YouTube, whatever it may be, versus someone who says, I want to be a big personality like The Rock or Steve Austin or whoever it may be, Ric Flair, Hogan. You know, that's the thing. Flair can have those great matches, and he can also have that big personality. Piper had, I like Piper's matches. I know they're not yeah. for everybody. Could have big matches and a big personality. Seems like a lot of guys now just want to have a certain type of match or a match that gets a certain kind of pop. But after the match, they don't leave you too much to you're not invested in that person other than maybe wanting to see them in another match. If you're so inclined to be that kind of fan. And the meanwhile, they're some type of bashful nerd living out there. Walter Mitty like, you know, alter ego. <laughs> but if, you know, if you want them to talk on television or cut promos or go out and fucking stir shit up or whatever, no, God, no. Or they need writers to tell them what to say or they don't want to say anything at all. Or remember Jungle Boy said, I run. I run when they want me to do interviews. That's uh, <laughs> They've overlooked the, uh, the main part of being a public personality is having a personality and showing it off in public. And... Uh, and I mean, you know, I understand I, nobody in the territory days wanted to get into wrestling or aspired to get into wrestling to do moves, not only because that wasn't the way that anybody thought about wrestling, but also there was almost nobody had any idea how to become a professional wrestler or what it entailed or what where you would have to go or whatever. It was so closely guarded. So the only people that that got that close to the business were, you know, Jack Briscoe was an ex NCAA wrestling champion. So yeah, they want to recruit, they wanted to recruit the, the top guys in wrestling or former football players, professional athletes, the guys that, that didn't have that background had to really be dedicated enough to dig through the secrets and the, the, you know, the cloud of secrecy and meet or find somebody in the business or that's been in the business before that would then instill in them a level of respect for it and how to kayfabe before they even agreed to train them. Because back then, if you knew a wrestler, if you weren't in the wrestling business, but you knew a professional wrestler, he still wouldn't tell you any fucking thing you didn't need to know until you had impressed on him or someone that you actually wanted to try to pursue that. And by that point, you'd known the guy enough to have some respect for his profession. So it was, but now that 
you know, that it's literally as easy as it's ever been. It's almost impossible not to become a professional wrestler if you want to. No matter what you look like, no matter what your size, some school, some outlaw show, somebody somewhere will let you do something that justifies in your mind calling yourself a professional wrestler. And and if somebody's had plenty of practice on their fucking trampoline, they'll probably get rave reviews in, in training class. The state of them these days. So now it's like, yeah, why not? I, you know, I've always liked watching that stuff on TV, so I'll just, I'll be a professional wrestler. I got tricks. I could do <sighs> some tricks. No, but that's one of the reasons why, you know, we always rave about MJF. If you really think about it, we haven't seen him wrestle all that much. His matches have all been good. He's shown that he can even do some flips and shit, but we don't <laughs> see it that much. He moves the ratings up. People tune in because they want to hear what he's going to say. And you know what he does that a lot of people don't do? He looks right into the mic, uh, right into the microphone, he looks right into the camera a lot of the time. And that's important. But how many other people are like that in wrestling right now or in AEW specifically? Like Roman Reigns in the bloodline, you kind of want to tune in, even though it'll be a 30-minute entrance. You want to tune in to hear what they're going to say, to see what's going to happen to further things this week. There aren't too many guys you could say that about, and we're not talking about matches, just wrestling personalities you have to tune in to see. And I think there's too many people, especially on the AEW roster, but too many people who just, they want to do the flips they've been watching for years. But why are we supposed to care about them if they're doing the same flips that everyone else does? Well, and then it becomes the, you know, the watching for the botches. You watch for botch. You know, which one of these green, self-trained, you know, lunatics is going to dive out somewhere on their head this week on live television? Will this be the big one? You know, that's, it's a, it's a car crash you know, attraction type of thing with some of these matches where, yeah, you want to see what they're going to do just to see if anybody actually fucks up bad or wow, what a, what a cool move that was. And then by the end of the next commercial break, who was in that match where they did that fucking flip? It's, it's so, you know, if everybody wants to risk their, lives and healthy life for the rest of their life and give themselves, you know, pain and mobility issues in not even their old age, just their middle age for no apparent reason. Cause it, it doesn't get over. Everybody else does it. You're just one of many. Then I guess they can, but you know, Brian, if I were some of these young wrestlers right now, I'd be having a lot of pictures taken. That was a quick one to the next one. Okay, I would too. I would too. Well, you know, I'm trying to trying to catch up. I'm overclimped here. I don't read the parentheses sometimes. Um. So yes, I'd have a lot of pictures taken, wouldn't you? I certainly would. You certainly would, and then you could display them in your home when you're driving yourself around in a hover round that you power by blowing into a clear straw or a golf cart. I stole from the County or a golf cart. You stole from the County. Either one of those things will work for the purpose of this particular exhibition here. But the point is you'd have pictures of yourself 
in your moments of glory that you can't do anymore. And as a matter of fact, folks, that's open anybody. You don't even have to paralyze yourself. You don't even have to jump off the top rope and break your own neck to be able to enjoy photos of treasured memories and loved ones and pets and friends and even enemies. If you like to keep a picture of them up every once in a while, just so you can remember what you'd like to do to them in the future. I've got a particular space like that, but nevertheless, for all of you, what? And it's, I've got a place where I put pictures of people that I just want to remember one of these days, but nevertheless, it's the holidays, a time of love <laughs> and, and, and joyousness and togetherness. And you want to do nice things for people. Brian, don't you want to do some nice things for people? I certainly do. There are ambulances or sirens in the background. I don't know what's going on. Well, that's because you've done too many nice things for people, and they found out where you live. Folks, where I'm going with this is the Skylight Frame. They're back. Our friends at Skylight Frame, one of the most popular products that we have ever promoted here on the podcast. The Skylight Frame is not just a frame for one picture. It's a frame for any number of pictures because... It's all hooked up to the wireless. And all you have to do is take this beautiful flame. It's a black frame, got a white mat. It matches anything. Black and white goes with anything. Ebony and Ivory, baby, lives together in perfect harmony. And you can put it in your home and you can display it, but it's got a touch screen that lets you swipe through photos that have been downloaded or uploaded or you've you've down. You've sent them downstream to go up the creek without a paddle, and they appear on this touchscreen on the skylight frame. Now, you can choose from two size options now, Brian. I don't know if you've heard about this. The original 10-inch or the brand-new extra-large 15-inch. And, boy, that thing, will it'll do some damage, boy. I tell you, it'll slide in there, and it'll take up some space. You can see these pictures coming a mile away. There's 100% satisfaction guaranteed if you don't love your skylight frame they will give you a full refund but the cool thing is you can preload it with photos that are important to the person you're going to give it to as a gift and then they can just turn it on and wham boom goes the dynamite there's love love loves in the air they'll cry they'll hug you they'll whimper they'll thank you they'll grovel in front of you if you want to have your in-laws grovel in this holiday season, it's the great thing. Or if you get it for your own home, then you can load these things, do it yourself. Or other people can send photos to your frame if you give them the information. I mean, you're not just going to get random, you know, dick pics off of the internet or whatever. You've, you know, you got to be in the circle of trust. But nevertheless, all you got to do right now is go to Skylight Frame, that's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com, and enter the promo code DRIVE, and you're going to get $15 off of your purchase of the Skylight Frame. Whichever size, the 10-inch or the all-new extra-large 15-inch, skylightframe.com promo code drive you get $15 off you'll make your family happy make your friends happy make your neighbors jealous all you got to do skylightframe.com promo code drive it's as simple as that you have one in your home brian i have two in my home 
You have two in your home. That's right, because you got such a big home. You have one at each end. That way people don't have to walk so far to watch, to look at it that they need some kind of assistance or oxygen. You can even have two in a home if it's a small home and you just want to display pictures of your loved ones or pictures of things you care about in various places. Yeah, or if you're egotistical, you can just have one on in every room and have all a bunch of pictures of yourself. And by the way, the sirens were the fire trucks driving by. Apparently Santa Claus needed a ride and he's on the back of the fire truck waving to the kids on this street. Oh, no. Well, I'm sorry to report, ladies and gentlemen, news just breaking from Brian Last. Santa's workshop has burned to the ground. Santa's a refugee. That's not what I said. That's Christmas is canceled. You're (laughs) not getting any fucking toys. As a matter of fact, did Santa have have any visible burn injuries? Second degree, third degree? No, he was holding up a cornet action figure. Oh, good. He saved the most important stuff. But yes, I have two skylight frames in my home, if that was the question. Well, no, the question was, was Santa Claus going to need skin grafts? That wasn't the question. But remember, kids, Christmas is canceled. Santa is in intensive care in the burn unit. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Should we talk about... Let's get to the AEW, folks. You want to do that? Talk about the AEW. Talk about the AEW over there. We mentioned something uh, about her. We did some of it on the drive-thru because I couldn't wait to see the MJF and Regal segment. So we talked about that from this past Wednesday night's Dynamite on uh, the the, uh, drive-thru. But there was a couple other things on the program, including Danielson and and, uh, Dax. But what am I hearing now? We've already talked about William Regal and his short-lived fucking uh, association with MJF and how this whole thing has fallen apart. There was not a clear linear story told. Uh, I know they're going to try to blame it on, well, we didn't know Punk was going to be gone. And even if he had been gone, hadn't been gone because of the media scrum, he would have been out with an injury, yes, but then they've been going back and forth and changing this shit since then. And now suddenly... William Regal has turned on the Blackpool Combat Club and allowed MJF to win the AEW world title, starting a long reign of MJF and Regal, a reign of terror as the Heenan and Bockwinkle combination that lasted a grand total of 10 days and one television appearance until MJF then knocked Regal out and fucking left him laying and we mentioned at the time, and I guess time will tell. Who who was it that wrote that classic lyric? Only time will tell if we'll stand the test of time. Time will tell, but it's looking ever more like that we were correct, Brian, when we said that they are trying desperately to figure out a way to hurry up and write William Regal out of this dramedy that they got going on to get him out of there and and it's being reported all the tony khan won't comment on it but it's being reported in a variety of places that regal is anxious to go back and work for his friend paul which we obviously have have said that there's no way that regal would have been fired last year if paul had been in charge instead of vince and now um EC3 
who has worked with Regal in the past, as you know, in Regal's job is, you know, important job in developmental in NXT. And EC3 has made comments to the effect that he believes that Regal had buyer's remorse on that contract and he's trying to get the fuck out of Dodge. Do you have those comments that he claims Mr. Regal made? I have it here. Apparently EC3 did an interview. It's nice to know that the Carter family name has continued on in wrestling. (laughs) Here's the quote. He's too valuable to not be in a developmental system. I know we could say, oh, he's there mentoring the people in AEW. The thing is, they're not listening. The talent doesn't listen to the veterans for the most part. When he went over to AEW, the word was, he said, I immediately regret this decision. There's very much a maturity issue here within management. And that's the end of the quote. So, let's see now that's... That JR... Uh, gave advice and was publicly ridiculed on Twitter and on social media by the the uh, young folks over there for trying to give advice. Um, Punk said, well, you know, nobody wants to listen to anybody's advice. Old Hangnail actually came out and said, no, I don't look for or listen to much advice. We've heard that... Um, I don't know who made the comment, but I've heard, I've heard Billy Gunn shakes his head a lot at why what the fuck won't they listen to me? I think Road Dog made that comment. Road Dog made that comment. Um, do you think there might be something to this? And I think it's more than talent. We're talking about management, too. Well, he did say, or according to EC3, Regal said there was a maturity issue with management. A maturity issue with management, almost like that the people at the actual top of the company have never done any of this before, but yet won't take advice from people who have. It's almost like that. But that can't be right, because that's what we've been saying for quite some fucking time now, is it not? And of course, we're never right. That's what a lot of people on the internet say until it comes out that we turn out to be right and things happen that we said were going to happen. And they, oh, they got lucky. So. He's talking about Tony, though, too. I mean, you're you're just really talking about talent. No, I'm, I'm talking about Tony. Okay. The people at the very top of this company have never done, I'm talking about Megan. She's supposed to, she, well, wake up yourself. She's supposedly... (laughs) Number two, right? Yes. She's under Tony. Well, I don't know what goes on after hours. No, I wouldn't say that. Not Tony. But she, at the same point, she's number two. Well, I don't want to categorize her with... Tony has called her the number two person in the company. She's the number two person in the company. In terms of corporate structure, yeah. Okay, well, she's never been to a goddamn wrestling match for fucking six months, probably before that goddamn company was... Founded. So Tony's never done any of the shit that he's tried to do before in his life, except as we know now from his public comments with his two other E-Fed friends where they would book their E-Federation for each other. And it was amazing how that even though the fans in the arenas weren't real, they could get the feel of what was getting over. And, and 
by the way, we didn't make this one point when we talked about that clip also, but Tony mentioned starting the E-Fed for Wednesday Night Dynamite in 1995. I guess he was like 14 or 15 years old, right? A little bit younger than that, because I was 14 or 15 in 94, 95, so he's younger than me. Okay, 12 or 13 or whatever the case. And then he mentioned he followed it up with Friday Night Dynamite in 2010. He would have been almost 30. He st- he started a second E-Fed because there was such demand. Well, give him credit as a promoter. He didn't rush the second show. I'm sure there was a lot of pressure from the network saying, Dynamite has been such a hit for almost 20 years now. We want a second show. Took him a while. Well, anyway. Responsible. So, anyway, you know, the, the whole thing, he had all that free time since he wasn't going out on dates, apparently. If he did, he was he was coming home from the date after he told his girl that he was booking an E-Fed. But if Tony hadn't done any of this before, Mega, or Megan, what is her name? I can't even remember what her name Mega, is. Mega Parikh. Mega, or is it Mega? It's Mega. Or is it Mego? It's not Mego. The worst Where figures did we ever. Go? Back when the rains came, down in a hollow, playing a new game. None of these people. And then you got the EVPs who have done what they allege is wrestling, but have never EV'd any peas. The guy in charge of the video game, I understand even, I don't know anything about video games, but I understand from people who do know a lot about video games that this thing's taken a long time. And he, he put the love child of Richard Simmons and Leo Sayer in charge of a $100 million project. So the the point is, everybody is making up for their complete lack of experience over there by not listening to anybody that has any. <sighs> and the TV show looked like it. Um, as I mentioned, we already talked about the MJF and Regal segment and controversy, etc. There were a couple other things on this program. I'm not going to go into excruciating detail on most of it. But the... <laughs> I mentioned I was sick on the couch and I would turn the TV on at eight o'clock to see if I'd see Danielson and Dax. Cause I figured, okay, they'll put Danielson out there first, try to keep the big bangers, right? Cause that's the only way they can get a banger on the AEW program is if they keep it from the previous program, but here comes Moxley. So I tuned back in later. Apparently, this was the in-ring promo with Moxley that now that he's been made to look like complete fucking putts by everybody, his fucking mentor turned on him. His good friend and partner, Brian Danielson, last week kept him from killing Regal in in storyline because Danielson loves Regal and in actuality because obviously Moxley couldn't get his hands on the guy that turned on him and fucked him and, and knew apparently what we think now that he never was going to because Regal's on his way out, so he had to at least give him a verbal tongue lashing on the way out. That was last week. So now this is Moxley's promo where he comes out and again talks about what a badass he is and how he's going to run this whole place and blah, blah, blah. He said there were three certainties, death, taxes, and John Moxley. 
and all three of those have the same appeal to the viewer. <laughs> it was a weird expression, wasn't it? Well, Mama Cornette used to say there's only two things for sure, and that's death and taxes. And John Moxley. But what does but that Moxley's mean? Moxley's trying to, yeah, yeah. I have to pay my taxes. Unfortunately, we all die. But how does Moxley fit into that equation? He'll just always be there no matter what. He'll always be. Well, and apparently with that new long-term contract that he's signed. And his wife's got a job there, so he doesn't even have to go home to visit her. So anyway, he's still trying to be a badass. And he claims that there's not a man within a hundred miles with the balls to tell him different. And of course they play music at the perfect cue and it is hang nail Adam pages music. And I'm, Oh my God, here we go. Now uh, two more baby faces are going to fight to see who's going to be the fucking number one contender to the world title. He comes out in his cowboy outfit. Did you see that ensemble that Paige was wearing this week, Brian Last? Can't really call it a cowboy outfit. It's more like a guy lives in Brooklyn and there's a cowboy-themed bar down the street that they all hang out at. It's like he told his wife to go to Cox's and get him a seersucker suit. She got mixed up and went to Sears instead. And there is hangnail Paige in the ring, face-to-face and toe-to-toe with a homeless plumber. It looked like the representatives of a showdown between a pride parade and a coalition of the fucking underprivileged. I've never seen it. Maybe in the fifties when nudie started making the cowboy outfits with the rhinestones and the appliques, maybe Paige. And nevertheless, anyway, Moxler's like, you sure you want to do this? And Paige nailed him and they had a big fight and they went to the floor and security and referees and a big pull apart and a bunch of break looses. And I got a page looks ridiculous visually the way he dresses and he has no personality whatsoever besides the empty headed twit that he apparently is, but he gave this everything he had. And if you didn't see three or four of these bench clearing brawls in every week's program, this was a good one. They were fighting and the people were in it. Yeah. Cause they'd break loose and then they could pull apart and break and people thought it was over. And then, they break loose. That's the idea of the break looses is you, they think they've got it settled down and it's a big pop because the guy breaks loose. But on one of the break looses, all the people had drug page up to the stage and Moxley runs up the stage after him and he's coming a hundred miles an hour and you can hear the people getting up like, yeah. And then Moxley tries to run past the cameraman that's got his back to him and ran past another guy and ran straight off the side of the stage and busted his fucking ass face first, and the people went, hell! <laughs> Everybody in the building, so even the announcers had to say, oh my God, and Moxley's fallen, I hope he's okay. And it was just, but all I could think, again, who's the baby face? Are we gonna, because Moxley is too, I think convinced that he is a superstar to want to switch heel right now and tell all the fans, fuck you after he just lost the title that he's just lost fucking 
three times in the last two months or whatever, this goddamn booking and the whole fiasco of the thing. Um, is Paige going to be a heel? He couldn't be any worse heel than he is a babyface, but that's faint praise. Or are they just going to have two guys? Because Tony, I wonder if the two guys that he booked the E-Feds with, I wonder if that's still his crowd that he's listening to. Because it sure ain't the fucking people in his buildings. Well, he may be listening to an internet crowd, but I'm not sure if it's just confined to that. But if so, so this is going to be Paige and Moxley now. Like then, if okay, diminish both guys. You're going to have to pick somebody to be behind, or you're just going to say fuck it. I wash my hands of the whole thing. So if you're behind one of them, then you're against the other one, and that means that he's turning people against one of his baby faces. After we saw the stuff with MJF and the crowd reaction to Moxley in a few different places, and Moxley's reaction to the crowd not being with him. I'm actually thinking he should be a heel right now. I'm not saying he shouldn't, but I don't think that he's going to be. And and how are we going to tell? Let's see. Usually it's the heel that is the the cheater and the badass and the guy that drinks blowed. Drinks blowed. Drinks That's how blood. bad he is. He drinks blow. Well, he drinks blood and breaks bones and... And he does all this, and he's uh, just, that's who Moxley is as a babyface. The heel is supposed to be like that as a heel, and then we switch his babyface. Then the people, the idea is they'll see this type of reckless, you know, devil may care behavior against the other heels. But Moxley cannot change in any way the way that he wrestles or talks or approaches anything because he's never either a babyface or a heel. He's a delusional. Not very impressive visually looking guy nearing 40 that talks a big game and for the, you know, modern day with a lack of real fucking badasses in the wrestling business, he gets get away with it with some people. But I don't know. So we're going to have to watch those two go at each other now. All things considered, though, I actually thought it was a pretty good opening segment. And, you know, I get what you're saying. We see a lot of things, but we also do complain pretty regularly about the fact that guys go out there, brawl, and there's no one out there to break things up. There are no referees. There's no backstage Oh, yeah. People. No, though the, the, they, the fight they did well. Yeah. I'd love to see it with two whole completely different people, but the, the fight segment, that was fine. But, uh, and, uh, but again, then they need consistency. Now they've established they've got referees and security guys that will come out and break up shit that gets out of hand, except if they don't like the people that are involved. Nobody wants to see Paige and Moxley get hurt, so we'll go out and break them up. But when it's the trampoline cowboys and they're completely rule-free shit, then they get to fight or do or the sports entertainment assholes. They get to fight and do whatever and chainsaws and sledgehammers to people's heads and everything, and nobody tries to stop it because that would break up the flow of their dramatic presentation. But then you've got a schizophrenic television program where, well, they just came out and broke the other thing up, and then they don't even apply a series of standards to that. Girls will slap each other and get in a hair-pulling fight, and they'll send 20 people out there. But there's the guy with the fucking flaming fucking welding torch and nuclear plutonium he's trying to cover a guy up with and ah uh, we can't go out there hey but with moxley and we're not fans of moxley but we acknowledge 
what he means to some of their fans, and I don't know if he means as much now as he did months back, but what do you do with him now? He's not going to get his hands on Regal, that's over, so there's nothing to do with that. It seems like they're gearing up for MJF and Danielson. You would think that means he's not in that equation, hopefully not a three-way, even though there's something natural there with him and Danielson, and he'll hopefully never get a rematch with MJF because that was a horrible Moxley match. Horrible match. But what do you do with Moxley now? You have a standby off-ramp for him. And again, this is kind of the gist of that he needs to get involved with somebody else so that he doesn't look weird or bad for not going after MJF or getting an immediate rematch or whatever with MJF for his title. But it needs to be somebody that that he can rehabilitate his own image with. For example, as soon now as he has been made to look like a complete simpleton, (laughs) besides by Mother Nature, Moxley, because his mentor turned on him, the head of the Blackpool Combat Club, and he lost the world title and blah, blah, blah. That's where you should have an up-and-coming young heel ready to piss in his post-toasties as soon as he comes out and says, I got jobbed by Regal and this and that and the other thing and gives his side of the story and I'm coming back at MJF, then there should be somebody else standing by that wants to piss on him and or already has pissed on him and or says, no, 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 I don't I." need to be the number one contender, and you run him off with it, especially with Moxley standing at this point, if he's going to be around for a few more years, he's as over as he's ever been. And he's as over as he's ever going to be. Actually, he's probably not now as over as he's ever been, but he's still as over as he's ever going to be. Right. It's not like suddenly, after two years of coming off WWF television and the run he's had, he's ever going to be any better over, more popular in AEW, So now's the time, okay, get a guy that's on the ascent, a young heel, to go in there and have a program, and Moxley could probably win some or most of those, as long as you keep the young heel credible, but it'll make that guy a step up the ladder working with the ex-world champion. And as a matter of fact, Moxley should go back after MJF and that heel that I was just speaking of that doesn't exist because now it's hangnail Adam Page. He should be the one to fuck Moxley in his either out of a rematch or in his rematch. But that the time to have planned all that was before the guy dropped the title. Remember, I've said the the whole reason for Kane's placement debuting in the Hell in the Cell at Bad Blood was because The Undertaker was not going to beat Shawn Michaels and become the WWF champion. And he was also not scheduled to have any rematches because that program had run its course and we were going in different directions, Shawn and Brett and and uh, Taker and Kane eventually. But you can't just beat The Undertaker and give him no rebuttal and at the same time he's a big pussy and just quits trying for it no you interjected Kane because that way Michaels retains Undertaker's been defeated but what's more important to Undertaker 
mentally and his motivation than going back to get even with Shawn Michaels for not winning the title is to go ahead and get even with Kane for the defeat, for the causing the defeat, and for the humiliation, etc. Now, Undertaker has had a graceful exit away from Shawn Michaels where the fans aren't sitting there going, well, he just got beat and quit trying. That's the way you segue a top guy off. You can't just say after he's lost the title and the media scrums over with, okay, well, what's he going to do now? That should already be figured out. And if this was what they figured out for it to be, blah, you're rewarded. You're, well, they're rewarding Paige again for pretty much starting this whole goddamn fiasco. He's worthless as an attraction to begin with because the only people at this point that want to see that bland, boring-ass, hangdog, imitation cowboy face are the same people that want to see the EVPs, which is shrinking by the week. It's the whole clown club. They don't... Paige was the biggest disappointment that they've had as a world champion... And he's added nothing to make himself any more interesting. Just that droop dog expression he comes out with on his face. What were you going to say? And that's a whole nother discussion. What do you do with Adam Page if you are going to keep him right now? Because you do need some guys that you could at least get near the top. But going back to Moxley. You can't even turn Page heel because he's so bland and disinteresting. He couldn't be a cool heel. I agree. Heel that he can only think. be a face. I agree. Well, I don't know if he can be a face either. As the old line in the wrestling business, guy would come up to a rookie and say, son, I've seen you. There's only two things you can't do in this business. What's that, sir? One's heel and the other one's babyface. But, but nobody would think that Paige is a slick personality, a heel. You know, I can see, you know, they were from only about 150 miles apart. I could see Adam Page trying to act like Buddy Landell. No, he's a school teacher playing wrestler. But let's get back to Moxley. Because you said that, well, you're talking about Kane and The Undertaker. It was set up so you don't really think about the fact that The Undertaker lost, but The Undertaker lost. Right. Beyond Regal helping MJF and in doing so turning on Moxley, should they have had something else there that night, whether it's Claudio and Yuta also going against Moxley, although you wouldn't really want to muddy up the MJF stuff, but it gives Moxley something coming out of that, like, fuck Blackpool Combat Club, I created it. And these guys are ingrates, I'm going to kick their ass, whatever it may be. And by no, the way, not, it may make Claudio more interesting too, but do you need something that night? And I'm not saying it has to be Claudio. Do you need something that night for Moxley or the next Wednesday? What would you have done? Not in this instance, because Shawn Michaels didn't need to be any more over at that point. He didn't need to beat The Undertaker through his own cheating or lying or manipulating or healing or whatever. He was already over to. MJF needed to beat Moxley, and the only other person involved needed to be Regal to tell this story. Now, of course, the story's never going to get to go anywhere because Regal can't stomach being there any longer, and they're going to fucking lose him. But that was the right thing to do there. But could there not have already been some conflict with Moxley and somebody even just verbally over the previous few weeks that made it look like something natural, a natural extension of the happenings when Moxley comes out and 
starts campaigning for a fucking rematch and let this other heel come in and fucking piss on him to give him something else, another direction to want to go and something else to want to do. And then if it was, maybe even it's even a guy like the other page, you say you like him. I think he's another fucking joke, but he's a good looking athlete. If he hadn't done stupid, silly wrestling shit show where he in the past to show where his fucking head's at. He's a decent looking athlete. He's got some size. Maybe they could try to start getting something out of him. And he's got a manager Stokely and the manager could fuck with Moxley. Something like that. Instead of just, Oh God, here comes page again. Just Adam page is the most uninteresting motherfucker in the history of the world. I don't know. Would you like to move on? Yes. Because there's there's really one other match we're going to talk about, and then I've got to see if you watch something. But Dax and Danielson. And this was for 20 minutes. And they do this every once in a while. But for 20 minutes, this television program looked like the Major League Wrestling Show. Not only did it have a personality that people have seen in the WWE that has been the champion that is known around the world, Brian Danielson, that's in great shape and can go and is serious, but Dax, who is, as I've mentioned the other day, you know, you, sometimes we forget about him because he and FTR are so hidden here because of the jealousy of the EVPs, but Dax is the best worker on the roster. In the ring, tag team, single, heel, babyface, anybody. He's the best. And be honest, if we got to see Cash ever have a singles match, he'd probably be right close. But has everybody seen how ridiculous this is at this point? Where Dax loses singles matches to everybody in the company, while at the same time, they're the best wrestling match you've seen since the last time that Dax had a singles match, but he's never won one. And Cash never gets to work at all in a singles match. Every once in a while, they have a, a tag team match together, but most of the time in AEW, it's a six-man or an eight-man or an underneath match or a pre-taped interview. They have all their great tag team matches in other companies somewhere else in the world they got every other company's tag team title that means something in those companies but are completely meaningless in this environment. And the apologists are still acting like that this is not intentional, that anybody could be so stupid that they, they get talent on their roster that start earning standing ovations from the crowd just for making their entrance. And people are still trying to say they're not being held down on purpose. And I got news for you. Yes, the rule of thumb in wrestling. And a lot of these things are repeated to people like Tony with no experience or people like some of these younger wrestlers with no frame of reference or context to how to take these things. Well, singles guys always beat tag team guys, but tag team guys would beat two single guys in a tag team match because they're tag team specialists. Within a point, you are true, all things being equal. That's why Ric Flair beat Bobby Eaton, right? But at the same time, Bobby Eaton didn't get beaten in every single match he ever had, or did Stan Lane or Dennis Condry. 
They still beat everybody but the main event fucking baby faces if they were in a single match. And then if they were in a single match, it was part of their program. It was Bobby versus Ricky Morton or Stan versus Robert Gibson. Or uh, Dusty used to break the midnight up every once in a while to go after the U.S. heavyweight title. Yes, they would do a job to Dusty Rhodes or Nikita Koloff. But if I think you would probably find if you did the record books that the Midnight Express, whenever they had a singles match on television, won 90% of them and then did the occasional job in a title match. And it's, it's the same way with... You can't do this this way and expect anybody to take your tag team champions seriously. Or your top tag team, since they're not the champions. Because the Bucks ran out on putting the belts on them. So the crowd was chanting, this is awesome, before the lockup of a guy who only gets to do jobs on this television program intermittently. Dax Harwood. The level of professionalism from both these guys, from bell to bell, was higher than most of the people in AEW can match on their best day. I had one complaint about the match, and you called it. Dax hit a beautiful pile driver, covered him, and got a two count. And besides there actually being no heel in this match, because people love Brian Danielson and people love FTR, so why book it? Oh, I know why to book it. Because a Mark booking in his basement for an E-Fed would think that it would be cool to have this great wrestling match on their imitation, fictitious television program. There's no business reason to have this. Brian Danielson didn't get any more over, and Dax certainly didn't. And yes, you're trying to get ratings on television, so give them a good match. Well, then how about every once in a while, whoever's in a program with FTR or Danielson they run out and cause a disqualification to further your goddamn issue and try to make money with it. Oh, I forgot. Neither of these guys is in a program because none of Tony Khan's main event guys are in programs and rivalries. They just intermittently wrestle people for no fucking reason. So if there were about 10 other guys on in this company that could work like these two guys, they would look like the better wrestling show over WWE easily, even the, with the production difference in production values. But they had a great back-and-forth match. People were with it. They loved everything. Finally, Dax got a sharpshooter and pulled on the knee pad, got a little subtle heel advantage, and then they went into a series of jackknife false finishes back and forth, boom, boom, boom. And out of nowhere... Danielson got the LaBelle lock and Dax tapped out in a finished. I've never seen a match that good and professional to have a finish that fucking flat. Just grabbed the hold on him and he tapped out. There's again, no build, no edge of your seat, roller coaster ride. It was some roll ups. They tried, but this is what modern wrestling is because everybody's a, everybody has to either have a heel versus heel match or a baby face versus baby face match. They're afraid of a disqualification to actually try to increase their business. Um, everybody's afraid of 
getting beat and looking weak so they suffer through 87 million big moves and then get beat with a sunset flip. And the finish comes out of nowhere because reasons. I don't know why. And then both guys shook hands and hugged. What'd you think, Brian? You kind of hit on some of my biggest issues with the overall concept of the match. As a match itself, it was good. If I had 50 of the hottest young prospects in wrestling at a training seminar, then I would send these two guys in the ring in front of that audience, professionals, to say this is an example of something you should aspire to. Put it on television to increase my business. I don't see how I did. You brought it up with Dax. Dax never cash. Dax always has these singles matches. He never wins any of them, but we all go into him with the same feeling. Oh, this is going to be a great match because Dax is in it. And every time, technically, it's a great match. But not one person watched that match and didn't know that Danielson was going to win. Right. And that's the problem. And again, if you're going to use Dax and Cash is there, unless Cash has a hernia or something we don't know about, have them in a fucking tag match. No, he he walked out on in street clothes on the ramp and shook Dax's hand and then went back inside and we never saw him again. If this match was booked just to get that crowd reaction, because I can't think you book a match like this and think, oh, this match with no background other than the two great wrestlers will get people really to tune in. Put FTR in a tag match. They bring the house down everywhere they go, but we don't get yeah. that. This match, this match was to please the choir. They were already there. The viewer, th this match was great for the people that were already going to watch this program. The people are already in the building, but it was neither built or uh, enough import was not invested in it or uh, any story whatsoever or anything to make anybody that didn't already just want it like us. Oh gosh, we'll actually get to see two guys that can work on this program. That's the only reason we were up in arms to watch it. How many people felt that way? Hey, I'll tell you what. I don't think they should have Danielson wrestle on TV for a while. If they're going to do something with him and MJF, it's the perfect time to take a break from the formula so he can get on the mic, joust back and forth with MJF. Who knows what they'll argue about. It'll probably be something other than a Regal just to make everyone forget about Regal. There has to be something there. Danielson was getting really good on the mic as a heel about a year ago. So I don't think they should have Dan. I think we've seen him wrestle too much on TV in meaningless matches. You know what? The There's something. What about since the knock on MJF and Moxley was like, well, he never wrestles. And, and MJF says, because when I do, you got to pay for it. What about if Danielson was to try to do the same thing? Well, I don't need to wrestle either. And I'm going to be in great shape. Nobody's going to tell you. We see videos of Danielson <laughs> not only training, but also just resting and relaxing, and nobody's beating him up. And MJF gets mad. No, he's got to go through so-and-so. I ain't wrestling. He's got to go through such-and-such -such guy. I ain't going to wrestle him. That might be something, but at least it would create some more hunger to see Brian wrestle again. Uh, it, like you said, I don't know, but nevertheless, and the rest of this program, Samoa Joe beat AR Fox for the ring of honor TV title. They did the regal and MJF segment. Did you, watch that? you didn't watch Samoa Joe and AR Fox. I, at this point, I was like, what the fuck? Have you ever seen this guy before? AR Fox? 
Um, REM wings. I guess they are. No, it's, <laughs> no, I've I've heard the name. I've not seen him. Don't care. This is the first time I've seen him. I've heard the name for a long time. First time I've seen him. I kind of liked him. He kind of reminded me of the guy from uh, Breaking. Not Turbo, either Turbo or Ozone. I forget which one. But he had an interesting look. Wait, wait, what? Remember the movie Breaking and Breaking Two? The two break dancers? No, I don't. And no, I didn't. And. I had become an adult by the time breakdancing became a thing, so I was fortunately available to make my own decisions and never watch movies about that. Wow. Uh, well, I'm sure he'll be good down the road. And Samoa <laughs> Joe, it's always good. He's going to get a win. Now, you know, they they bring him in. All right. Um, they did some business with Ricky Starks and the other Page and Stokely. Matt Hardy is still there, but apparently now Stokely owns Hardy. Because they did an angle on YouTube or something. Uh, Anna Jay wrestled Willow Nightingale and Ruby Soho and Ty Melo Conti somehow after that match got in a big rotten fight. And did you see the Jane Cargill segment? Of course I did. I was hoping you did. That's the other thing I wanted to bring up to you. Another party in the ring with balloons and confetti. And there, who was in the Kiera Hogan and what's the other young no, no, lady's no. name? Kiera Hogan no? was fired last week. It's Layla oh, Gray and Red Velvet. Layla Gray and Red Velvet were in the ring with her. That's what it, because she fired what you said, right? And she has to do the interview. This entire company is, she's trying to say she's supporting the entire company and carrying the entire company on her back. And she said, this entire company is eating off me. And I got to be honest with you, Stacy and I saw that about, in New York about 10 or 12 years ago at that fucking high-priced uh, strip club and sushi place. They do the naked sushi where they bring the naked girl out on the table and she's got the sushi all over her. And you use your chopsticks to take the sushi off the naked girl. So apparently all of AEW is eating sushi off of Jane Cargill. This stopped and started. It never stopped. There were stops and starts. There were fits and starts. But it it kept going and going and going as, as Jane was praising herself and et cetera, her baddies. And then she started talking about Bow Wow. And instantly on the screen, on the video screen, a guy pops up with Bow Wow on his sweatshirt. I have heard that apparently on Twitter there is a rapper named Bow Wow. Was this indeed the aforementioned Bow Wow? This is Bow Wow, formerly Lil Bow Wow when he was younger, and then he grew up and he got rid of the Lil and he just became Bow Wow. I believe he was, well, I, and I'm not joking, I believe he was discovered originally by Snoop Dogg. Which is why there's a dog connotation to his name. <laughs> Snoop Dogg with Bow Wow. Lil Bow Wow. He discovered Lil Bow, Lil Bow, Bow Wow. My God, that sounds like a fucking... If, if Stan Lee had created a superhero combination while he was on LSD. So Snoop Dogg and Lil Bow Wow, eh? It was like... I, I always wanted to have a wrestling champion named Jack Double Barrel Cannon. And have his side sidekick be a little midget named Cannonball, and he could roll the midget at his opponents. 
Let me hear more about your EFED. I like this. Anyway, so this video with Bow Wowie, Bow, Bow Wowie dolls. Just Bow Wow, just Bow Wow. Bow Wow, Bow Wowie. <laughs> it looked like it was shot from a holding cell. All I could see was a silver wall with a bolt in it. And he mumbled something that I honestly, I don't know what the fuck he said. And that was the end of the video. And they cut back to the ring and all the girls just stood there and then just wandered off out of the ring and they went to the break. So how is there a rivalry of some description and what is the bone of contention, so to speak, between Bow Wow and Jane Cargill now? A, I don't know. Obviously, Bow Wow for a while now has been teasing that he wants to get involved with wrestling, and AEW said, yes, please. God damn it, again! So some fucking street urchin somewhere, I want to get involved in wrestling. I Hey, I want to get involved in a fucking knocking over Fort Knox. Can somebody give me a ride down there and a shovel for the gold? Just because somebody wants to get involved in something doesn't mean they oughter. You're going past so much stuff. There was a cake there for no reason. I mean, the celebration was big. They shot shit into the air. And then Jade talked about how upset she was with her baddies in the ring. While facially, they no-sold all of that. Like, they didn't yeah, give a shit what she was saying. <laughs> and she had this ridiculous outfit, which, you know, for the guys that like Jade's body, they're like, oh, look at her outfit. But it was a ridiculous outfit. And she's out there for this celebration that goes nowhere. Everyone's eating off her. She is mad at her people and they don't give a shit. And now she's either going to be, it's either going to be an intergender match with Bow Wow or Bow Wow has a female the way Shaq had Jade or eventually they're going to be love interests. I mean, what is this? You told me that Shaq didn't have Jade. Not in that way. Will you stop being a dirty old man in the way that she was on his side? Well, on side back on his on his team, she was willing. She was. You see, there's no, nothing teams. I can say. What? No, I didn't say that. There's nothing I could say that you won't take down this road. But you get what I'm saying. <sighs> anyway, and then finally, of course, number three, uh, the third in the best of seven series with the Buckaroos and Twinkle Toes against the Bermuda Triangle. Again, they they left that one till last and started it with 20 minutes left on the air. So for people who watched that and understand there were fewer of them than normal, they had to sit through 20 minutes of this horse shit with these fucking clowns. And they're going to, obviously, because of the graphic they've shown, their best of seven series, unless they... Unless they're false advertising the fucking last week, they've already announced to here's all seven dates for this best of seven series. Um, but they're running people off in record numbers now because it's like we've discovered something that you don't want to watch, so we're going to do nothing else but that. What kind of fucking formula is that? Did you have the, uh, have you heard about the ratings? Have you read about the ratings? I have the ratings here. I was waiting to see if you had any more notes on the big young bucks or the big elite. Well, no, Death I triangle spectacular. It's not, it's not serious. They don't actually intend for this is them 
This is the Buckaroos and Twinkle Toes and all of their stooges, sycophants, and enablers masturbating themselves on national television to show punk, hey, we're we're, we're working every week, and we're out here doing our art because we won, and so we make fun of you, and we make fun of the people that like you, all those extra fans you brought that didn't want to see us because they tuned us out, and that's what they're doing. They're they're fucking rubbing it in in Punk's face and Larry's face and all the regular fans' faces that thought that when they started getting big names, they would do as it was prescribed in the Bible and they would throw off their childish ways and send the trampoline cowboys back to Cucamonga. But instead, no, they're Tony's friends. They're his E-Fed buddies. So they won, and now they're going to do this stuff every week whether we want to see it or not, whether it all looks the same or not, whether it makes any sense or not, whether it gets anybody over or not. So let's talk about those numbers. Let's talk about those numbers. They may be coming out to Kansas's carry on my wayward son, but the fans viewing dynamite are becoming like dust in the wind by the end of this show here. Wait, hold on, hold on. Well, thank you very much. Well, before we get to the point of no return, I will continue on here with oh, this. Oh, well, wait, hold on here. Hold <laughs> and on those on. are the three Kansas songs I know. Jim, AEW Dynamite this past week had overall 870,000 viewers. Quarter one, Hangman Adam Page and John Moxley having a confrontation and the beginning of Danielson versus Harwood, 1,030,000 viewers. So over a million people start out coming off the reruns of a several-year-old situation comedy. Segment two, which is the end of Danielson versus Harwood, and a promo from Ricky Starks, 877,000 viewers. Oh, Jesus Christ. So... Once that the people watched the first 15 minutes, saw what they was being advertised for the show, and got into the the middle of the one of the best wrestling matches they've had on this program in a while, it still wasn't enough to keep 150,000 of them. Segment three, which is Claudio Castagnoli and Wheeler Yuta having a confrontation with the Jericho Appreciation Society. That was a pre-tape in the back. I skipped through that. As well as Samoa Joe versus A.R. Fox, 869,000 viewers. So about 8,000 difference, about flat. Segment four, or quarter four, the MJF and William Regal confrontation slash promo slash segment, 889,000 viewers. So they got 20,000 of them back to see the explanation and revelation of why that this long running group, Blackpool combat club suddenly disintegrated and William Regal went to the dark side. MJF won the title. The explanation is going to be given. And we came cracked 900,000. Jesus Christ. Well, we're at nine o'clock quarter five, which is the end of the MJF William Regal promo slash brass knuckle incident, as well as Ricky Starks versus Ari Davari, 
and Jamie Hayter and Britt Baker's promo, 869,000 viewers. And at the top of the 9 o'clock hour, they lose another 30,000 people. And quite frankly, I, if I told you to pick what they could put on that show to lose more viewers, it would have been this segment. Quarter 6, Anna Jay versus Willow Nightingale, the return of Ruby Soho, and Orange Cassidy having a confrontation with QT Marshall. Well, thankfully, I missed that on the speed search entirely. QT Marshall is still getting on this show. 838,000 viewers. Oh! So, they start at the top of the 9 o'clock hour. At the top of the 9 o'clock hour, they do 889 for quarter four. Or going into the 9 o'clock hour, they do 889 for quarter four. Top of the 9 o'clock hour, they lose 20,869. And by 9.15, they've lost 50,000 people from the top of the fucking hour. Okay. Quarter seven. Jade Cargill's promo that you just reviewed, the acclaimed and Billy Gunn promo, and the beginning of the Elite vs. Death Triangle match three, 801,000 viewers. Oh, and there went another 37,000 from the previous quarter. And finally, quarter eight, the Elite versus the Death Triangle, the conclusion of the match, 792,000 viewers. So 238,000 people from start to finish, or pretty much 25% of the audience said, fuck it. And the major loss came from the point in time where MJF and Regal parted ways to when the EVPs and the Bermuda Triangle spent 20 minutes out there getting in their own way. And that right there was a hundred and well around a hundred thousand people. Again, Dax versus Danielson was a match that wouldn't appeal to you unless you're into really good matches. The women's segments every week run off viewers. And this week, look back to back to back. Jamie Hader and Britt Baker's promo was in quarter five. Quarter six had Anna Jay versus Willow. Quarter seven had Jade. Three straight segments with women. And I hate to put down women's wrestling, but let's be honest about what's been happening with the ratings. They drive away the viewers. And then there's nothing, even if you're the biggest Young Bucks and Kenny Omega fan, there's nothing they do to bring new people in or bring people back. If you're predisposed to being a fan of that style of wrestling, you're probably already there and you're ready for it, but everyone else is getting ready for bed. And, you know, here's the the one thing I'm seeing, and we'll we'll close this thing up on AEW, but the one thing that I'm seeing is that they always have started with over a million people because that's their lead-in, but they used to keep the most percentage of those people through the first hour at least, and then the second hour would be the you know, Titanic, all hands off off deck, and everybody be bailing out. But now they're bailing by 30 minutes into the show, or even earlier. It, it Other than MJF, what did you have to look forward to? Because they used to have CM Punk will be here. If they didn't open the show with CM Punk's music, you knew it was coming by 9 o'clock. There was a reason to hang on. Yeah. There's not, and I'm not saying that as a CM Punk fan, I'm just saying there aren't too many guys there right now. That would give you a reason if you see a graphic at the bottom of the screen, this is coming up later in the show. 
Who's supposed to hold you? Over 150,000 fucking people left from the time that they started the show until the second fucking quarter. That's insane. Do you, what do you think the elite uh, do next week? Do they ask Tony to book him in the first hour? What do you think they're going to do to combat the fact that the reputation is now going around in that locker room and, of course, amongst fans that they are driving away viewers? Well, I think the the point that we can make most probably is if, if you see the elite over the next week or two uh, and, and that best of seven match come up at eight o'clock or eight fifteen or what earlier in the show, there's obviously no statistical reason to do that. So it's probably a cover our diminishing reputation move because if you, especially now when they've done this three times and every time that match runs people off in the tens of thousands, if they were to put it on when they've got their biggest audience, that would be based on the statistical information that they've got already. The stupidest thing they could possibly do. So I expect to see that. At what point does someone acknowledge that having the women's division featured so prominently on TV? I mean, they gave Anna Jay and Willow Nightingale a lot of time. When do people start acknowledging that this is a problem and this is driving away viewers? When Tony decides to start acknowledging it, when Tony decides to start acknowledging anything, he doesn't want to hurt the girl's feelings. Well, you, Twinkle Toes has the Japanese girls so far up Tony's ass and that he's tried to, you know, apparently pare back on that a little bit because we're still seeing as many girls, but now they're all the American indie girls that can't work rather than the Japanese indie girls that can't work. But he doesn't want to hurt their feelings, and he doesn't want fans to be mad at him because the women's wrestling's supposed to be equal, even though they don't have enough good women's wrestlers to be equal. He doesn't want to do anything with the EVPs. That's obvious, or he would have jerked a knot in all of their tails when all this shit was going on with Punk before it blew up. But he didn't. He wouldn't do anything about it then because he's a coward. He didn't like confrontation. He wants everybody to be his friend. If he gets his feelings hurt, then he'll just, you know, send it to Megan or whatever. Hey, he's also on the record saying that he thought it was a good idea to have a little bit of locker room dissension. It's good for what happens on camera. <laughs> Remember, he did well, say that on the record. Well, because, again, he's heard some veterans say that when, you know, when talking about the Vince McMahon's management style or whatever, you know, keeps the... The guys against each other keeps them on their edge. That's when you're in control. When you're in control of your company and your locker room and you've got an experienced staff that's in control as well, then yeah, you can uh, you know, you can instigate some personal rivalries with the guys in the locker room to juice up the the edge of the program. But when you have no control over anybody and they know that they can act out willy-nilly without anybody really doing anything about it, you know, then then you don't want that because now you've just let the fucking inmates not only run the asylum, but you've handed them fucking sidearms. Remember, remember when he told Andre, Andre, don't fucking punch Sammy Guevara in the face. 
Okay, I won't. What's the first thing he did when Sammy walked in the building? He was standing there to punch him in the fucking face. He said, I don't care what Tony Khan, what I told Tony Khan. I was going to punch him in the face. And the word was Tony didn't want to let him go because he wanted to go. He wanted yes, to get fired and go to, to WWE. Fired. Yes, he said, I'll punch him and you can fire me. No, I'm not going to fire you. That's Tony Khan's actual quote was, if you punch the guy, I'm still not going to fire you. Okay. Now I get to punch the guy I'm mad at. And all they're going to do is send me home where I want to go anyway. My God. It's all a factor, Brian. Everything's a factor. (laughs) Yes, it is. Everything is a factor in what's going on. And you know what? One of the biggest factors is, I think, in the, the skirmishes and the problems between these wrestlers. The biggest is they don't eat right. They are not eating well. You know, they're on the go all the time. It's a holiday season. They're traveling from place to place. Tony's the only billionaire that they've suckered into giving him a job. Most of the rest of these guys have to go work for hot dogs on the weekends. They don't eat right. And when you don't eat right, not only are you damaging your body, you're damaging your mind because food is fuel for the human body. And if you put the... uh, leaded gas in one of these fine new motors well it'll just gum up the works and if you're too busy or you're traveling or you got the holidays or you got kids or you've got wrestlers in your locker room that are fighting with each other you got to referee that you don't have time to cook properly you're just eating junk junk in and junk out that's what i say crap in crap out that's exactly what's going to happen but not with our friends at factor Because Factor is a ready-to-eat meal delivery service that shops and preps and cooks and delivers to your door so you can enjoy the chef-crafted, dietitian-approved meals during the holidays minus the hassle. And they've got 34 meals a week. Holy mackerel, they're hungry son-of-a-guns. You don't have to eat them all if you don't want to. Well, every there's a, a week every February where you have to eat everything on your plate or they'll come to your house, but more on that later. But they've got Gourmet Plus. They've got Keto, Calorie Smart, Vegan and Veggie, add-ons like smoothies and juices and snacks and all that stuff. And especially, did I mention, the flavorful chef-crafted meals that you can enjoy guilt-free because you didn't steal them. Somebody else stole them. You weren't there. They're going to provide Nobody you with an alibi. Nobody stole them. No, they're not going to provide you with any kind of alibi. Nobody stole them. They're legally obtained and chef-crafted wonderful meals. Yes, and you can enjoy them guilt-free. I guess that means you didn't st- necessarily steal these meals. Whatever you steal, whatever you do out there in your daily life. No. Let's say you mis- mistreat some senior citizens. Let's not say that. You steal some money from children's charities. Or that. Maybe you kick a cat. Then you come home and you sit down and you have one of these guilt-free meals and it takes all the guilt away. After you eat the factor food, you feel just fine. You're ready to go out and fuck somebody else around the next day. Guilt-free meals. Guilt-free, you won't feel any guilt about what you're ingesting, what you're bringing into your body. Your body is your temple and you'll be supplying your temple with the best possible chef-crafted, good-tasting, delicious and nutritious food takes away all your guilt guilt you feel from pillaging and foraging about for other people's belongings and cheating people on business deals and parking 
in other people's preferred spots. Take away all your guilt. Not only do they offer the fast, simple solutions when you're too busy to cook, they help you stay on top of your goals, protein plus, keto, you can stay on track with your diet. Factor has everything you need for a week of flavorful, nutritious eats. So right now, folks, I know this may be a mouthful, so jot it down. You're going to head to go.factor75.com slash JCE60. That's go.factor, F-A-C-T-O-R, 75.com slash JCE60. And use the code JCE60 to get 60% off your first box. See, that's why the 60's in there. And this is also a brain exercise. When you eat good food, it helps your memory. That's why this is the world's longest link. Go.factor75.com slash JCE60. Use the code JCE60 at checkout to get 60% off your first box of Factor prepared meals that will be good for you and take away all of your guilt. No longer will you feel remorse for the horrible things you've done to other human beings in your life. Just eat some of this fine factor food and you'll be happy as a pig in poop. Factor. All right, well, before we go any further, what in the world is happening in the world of the wrestling news and the Arcadian Vanguard Network this week? If you hear sirens in the background, ladies and gentlemen, don't be alarmed. Apparently, Santa and the firemen are still on their route, wherever it is they may be going here in this town. God forbid an arsonist were to get on the loose right now, but another action-packed week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter, at Super Podcasts, or on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. Of course, the wrestling news. Every day, a free daily wrestling newscast summing up everything that's happening in the world of wrestling with no opinion, no star ratings, no conjecture, just the wrestling news. Check it out today, like so many have, at thewrestlingnews.com. You could download it directly from there or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Look for Arcadian Vanguard's The Wrestling News. And of course, the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership! Jesus, what's going on over there? Just trying to bring you down. All right, where's the gun? Ladies and gentlemen, go through the archive today at 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcast. And thank you to everyone who has been going through the archive uh, lately. I really do appreciate it. More to come from the 605 Super Podcast, The Mothership. All righty then, Mothership. Um, I guess it used to be that Raw was the flagship show of the WWE, and maybe they still consider it, but I would think that the show that has the most viewers would be the A show, the, the premiere show, and that now normally is SmackDown. Because it's on network television, it's on Fox, and that's a big advantage when it comes to viewership. But last night, Friday night, December 2nd, it was on FS1 because are you sick and fucking fed up with this soccer? Do you want the soccer to be over with quickly? Because Fox has the, wherever they're playing this World Cup, whatever part of the country they play this in, or part of the world, I should say, Qatar. It's on 
It's on weekdays. It's in the morning. It's whatever. I've been trying to watch my local news every weekday, as I normally do, at 11.30 and noon, and I have to go to the fucking secondary channel because the soccer's all over Fox. Day, night, everywhere. How many of these games they play? Can't they even do a best of seven like the World Series and AEW? They have to play 5,000 fucking soccer games? Did you ever hear that famous quote? I forget who said it now, and I just heard it again this week about soccer. Soccer is the sport of the future, and it always will be. <laughs> All righty then. Anyway, so Fox didn't air SmackDown because of the World Soccer Cup or whatever, so it was on FS1, and they, much like AEW does, I guess, when Rampage is on at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, or like last week, they were on the night before Thanksgiving, although how the hell... Did AEW's ratings drop from the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving to the following Wednesday that ain't before anything except Thursday? But they still managed to do it. That's odd. But nevertheless, SmackDown on FS1, they threw their hands up and they said, just, just go. We're not even going to try. Do you want to hear what the matches on SmackDown were? I'm not, I didn't watch it. I read the recap to to determine whether I should and quickly got the answer to that. But would you like to just hear what the matches were? If it'll keep this short, yes. Okay. Sheamus wrestled Sami Zayn, and that alone might not have been bad, and the bloodline actually helped Sami win this, so Sami beat Sheamus. So, boy, howdy, you didn't see that coming. But there was no Roman Reigns, there was no Paul Heyman because it wasn't network TV, and they didn't bring out all the big guns, and to honestly spend two hours of my life to watch Sheamus versus Sammy, eh, because the rest of the program, Shayna Baszler versus Emma, a non-title match between Kofi Kingston and Gunther, and again, I love Gunther, I'd love to watch Gunther against Kofi fucking Kingston. And the main event, apparently, or the match they put in the main event spot was Pablo Escobar against Ricochet. That was the show. And I am... If I was Tony Khan right now, I'd be screaming. I'd be screaming. You fucking asshole wrestlers I've signed. You can't get your shit together and get along with each other and stop trying to get out of my contracts long enough to beat a company in a promotional war that's not even fucking trying anymore. Smackdown. Main event. Pablo Escobar and Ricochet. One of three all-star match on a two-hour program. If I'd have turned that into Vince McMahon 25 years ago, he'd have fired me. So I, I, I don't know what's, I mean, again, even on FS1, I don't know if they have the ratings yet. It's Friday night. This is Saturday early. We're talking or no, it's, that was Friday. It's Sunday. Did they have the ratings out yet? Does FS1 even get ratings? They get ratings. I haven't checked the SmackDown ratings. I'll see if there's anything yet. It is the weekend. Well, yeah, but I'm just thinking, 
there they switched over to FS1 where the last time they did that they had approximately as many people watching as AEW does for its Wednesday night show which is a big deal to AEW that's their big show and that's that's a cause for the WWE to just say fuck it is that where we're at now ah, there's only going to be 6 or 7 or 800,000 people watching let's give us Escobar and Ricochet hey if, if Roman Reigns and Heyman don't show up because it's on FS1, it's because they know the viewers ain't going to show up, or they don't think they will. Well, but that's still that's as many people as I said as AEW gets for their their big show, and and it's not even cause enough for WWE to try. Uh, I guess that no ratings, eh? Because it's the weekend. That's right. But what? I guess what I'm saying is, what is our choice? Is our choice now to spend three hours watching Raw or two hours watching SmackDown to get four kind of half-ass matches and entrances that are 10 or 15 minutes long in order to see Roman Reigns, Paul Heyman, and every once in a while Brock Lesnar pops up? And then, of course, we get our we have our soft spot for Gunther. But otherwise, nobody's going to hurt themselves. Nobody's going to do, I mean, uh, uh, injuries happen, but nobody's reckless and careless and unprofessional on the WWE program. So you can't watch to see the car wreck. And you know that these things, the WWE shows are all put through the production ringer and overproduced and they can control the audio. So the fans aren't going to chant fuck. Because they'll take care of that. And there's no spontaneity, so everything's kind of boring and professional. And over in AEW, every three or four weeks, we get a great match, Dax versus Danielson or whatever, but most of the time, we get some unprofessional chaos that for those of us who just want to sit back and go, you know, how far can these people go before they paralyze themselves? Well, that's somewhat attractive to watch but and giggle at people falling off shit accidentally but otherwise there's nothing going on over there I, I, do we are we are we supposed to be bored to death by one program or are we supposed to scoff and make fun of the other program because it's so unprofessional but at least it ain't boring watching people accidentally almost kill themselves every week. You really this have to wonder, the, you have to wonder what William Regal is going to actually say to, I mean, he has been talking to whoever he talks to, you know, it's not like he stopped talking to people when he left there, but what he's witnessed when guys go back there, you got to wonder what they're really saying about what's happening behind the scenes there. But I'll tell you what, that actually now that you think about it, this may be the best thing that could happen to Tony Khan. For William Regal to let William Regal out of whatever deal that he had for however long he had it, to go back to the WWE, Regal's going to go in there and tell Triple H, okay, most of these guys are fucking green, don't want to listen, got bad attitudes, don't want to learn, think they know everything. We don't want most of them. We want MJF, we want FTR, we want one or two other underneath guys that we can retrain before their bad habits are 
you know, unbreakable. But now he knows what these people are like, as well as the talents. He knows working with them. He sat back and watched them interact with people. He knows who's got a bad attitude. He knows who's a troublemaker. He knows who thinks they know it all. I've just rattled off 80% of the roster. So will it be good for Tony in that <laughs> Regal will go back and say, Paul, mate, we don't, we don't want most of those fucking guys. It may be a boon to Tony in the long run. Because now, the, you know, it, he maybe he won't have to worry about being poached as much because there are guys on that program that if you didn't know people who know them personally, you'd think, oh, they might have a future. It's just they're being held down by this stupid company. No. Now they'll actually know in the WWE who's being held down by their own stupid. You know, the other problem is, take a guy like Moxley, who was one of the guys that really pitched Regal to Tony. He has, what, a five-year deal, a five-year extension? At what point does he become unhappy and say, hey, you released him, let me out of my contract too? About four and a half years in, probably. No, but I mean, this, is, this could be an ongoing issue where selectively some guys are just let out of their contract and some guys aren't. Do you think they would take Moxley back? Yes. Obviously, they would... <sighs> They have control there, so there would be no blood Moxley. There would be no barbed wire Moxley. There would be no garbage match Moxley. Does that take all of Moxley's appeal away? Is there any reason to have Moxley if he's not going to be doing all that horse shit? What else can he do? Hurt AEW by taking him away. I'm not, saying, well, yeah. I'm not saying they would take him just because they think he could be the next big thing. I'm saying they'd take him because, hey, fuck you, AEW. We're WWE. But what could you do with him if you tried to get him to do it right? Because, I mean, it's, it's like he's not going to listen to anybody in AEW. He's not going to change anything in AEW. This is what he's longed to always wanted to do, Moxley. But if he was taken back... In the WWE, they wouldn't let him do most of this because they didn't before, and I certainly think they wouldn't now. What else could you... How could you make John Moxley a legitimate wrestler? Well, maybe part of it is, hey, we're paying you all this money. Stop being a dick and play along. Your ideas aren't great. Try our way. Again, we're paying you all this money. That'd be part of my argument. If that, if that hasn't been done yet. <laughs> I don't... <sighs> I don't know whether to get through. I wonder what the what the over and under or what the projection would be. That's what it's called, the projection, the more or less. What is the projection, you think, on John Moxley? Whether he could actually become a real pro wrestler Pinocchio or whether he's stuck in this outlaw mindset for the rest of his life. Well, I mean, if I there was only some place that we could go, <laughs> that where we could make entries, sort of like in a daily fantasy situation, on the projections of whether Moxley's going to be a garbage wrestler the rest of his life or not. You mean sort of like in a fantasy way? <laughs> sort of like in a daily fantasy way, you know, <laughs> where you make entries on the projections. You pick more or less, yay or nay, things happen. Sort of like the, our friends at Prize Picks. 
where you can make the picks there and you can win up to 25 times your money. Even Moxley could end up being a moneymaker if you could win 25 times your money on predicting that he was going to suck. Hmm. It's something we ought to start thinking about. (laughs) Because, well, now our friends at Prize Picks, they cover every other sport. They NFL, NBA, MLB, NHL, PGA, college football, college basketball, soccer, WNBA, eSports. I wonder if that includes E-Federations. NASCAR, tennis, MMA, boxing, Euro basketball, cricket, disc golf. Disc golf. Disc golf. Cockfighting. Is that on the list here? That isn't on the list. You keep asking this every week, and every week I tell you it's not on the list, and every week you keep forgetting that we talked about Well, not forgetting. Choosing to bring it up again. Well, I just, because I've been training my cock in case they make it legal. But nevertheless, you you can go and, and you can make entries and make picks and projections on any of those sports with our friends at prize picks over at prizepicks.com. All you got to do is download the prize picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and first time users can get a 100% instant deposit match up to a hundred dollars with the promo code JCE. Because if you put in a hundred dollars, they'll give you another hundred. If you put in 50, they'll give you 50 And it goes like that. But only if you enter the promo code JCE at your sign-up for the instant deposit match. But again, you think somebody's going to do something, you're convinced of it, or you think they're not, well, you go to prize picks, you make the entry, you place the wager, and you walk away with your money as long as you're right. Prizepicks.com or download the prize picks app. Promo code JCE. All righty. Well, speaking of a grand prize, we've got to come up with one because we're going to close the program here today with a little contest between me and the great Brian Last because we play this game quite often on the drive through Guess the Program, where we bring a program out of our collection and tell the other one what the lineup is, and that person has to guess what the year and the location was. And when we did this here very recently on your program, Brian, you put in a bunch of ringers on me. I've never heard such goddamn obscure names and lackadaisical cards. You were trying to make me look like I didn't know what I was doing. And I'll have you know that I can take care of that for myself. I don't need your help. So what we've done here to settle this thing is we've just grabbed, I've grabbed three classic wrestling programs at random from my collection, and you've grabbed three classic wrestling programs from your collection, and we're going to give each other these lineups, and we're going to see who can do best. Can we get two out of three? Can we get all three? Can we get zero out of three? Who's going to have the best record here? And I know you're probably going to try to fuck with me again, but I'm I'm giving you a fair shot with... I give you major wrestling shot. names here over the last hundred years. Just as I did. I don't know what part of, I, I don't know how I fucked with you playing guess the program by asking you to guess the program. But okay, I've got, there was, there was one time a guy in the main event I'd never even heard of. It was so obscure. Well, you see, you're making me question. I had some ones here. I thought were kind of going to be easy for you. A layup. 
And now I question whether I'm going to give you the easy ones and make you look good. Oh, oh, okay. I'll see there now. See, now you're going to tease what you're taking away from me before I even saw it. I don't know. All right, I'll start. All right, you start. This is, see, this one's going to be so easy. It's going to be too easy, but I'll do it anyway. All right. Chief White Owl, 244, Cherokee, versus Pedro Godoy, Havana, Cuba, 238. The Stomper... Versus Jack Murphy. Good old Jack Murphy. There'll be a four girl. Jack, Jack Dropkick Murphy, they called him. There'll be a four girl tag team match. Also a tag team match for the championship of the world. The challengers, the Hells Angels versus the champions, Lou and Roy Klein. <laughs> Danny Hodge versus Big Saka. 287 and a half pounds out of Tokyo. He is a manager. Well, and that all that's CG Sakaguchi. That is correct. One of Enoki's longtime right hand men. Ernie Ladd versus Flying Fred Curry. Paul Diamond, 235 out of Miami Beach, versus Lou Thez, Phoenix, 229 pounds. For the British Empire Heavyweight Champion. Actually, it doesn't even say it was a title match. The British Empire Heavyweight Champion. Now, wait a minute. That ain't going to be Billy Robinson. Is that going to be Whipper Billy Watson? Whipper Billy Watson versus Terry White. From Montreal, 235, Bill Terry versus Nature Boy Buddy Rogers. New Jersey, 230 pounds. Edouard Carpentier, France, 237 pounds. Versus Wild Bull Curry. <laughs> Coincidentally enough, the same weight out of Hartford, Connecticut. And finally, the main event, a lumberjack tag team match with a special referee that you already know where this is from. The special referee's yeah. Lord Layton. <laughs> 20 men stationed around the ring to ensure law and order. The mighty Igor, 286 out of Poland. And Ivan Kamelkoff. Out of Kalmakoff. Russia. Kalmakoff, excuse not, not me. Not Kamelkoff. 238 out of Russia. He's not a heavy smoker. He doesn't have a Kamelkoff. Well, he was the manager here, so it's the mighty Igor and his manager versus the United States heavyweight champion, the Sheik, with his manager. And his manager. The Weasel out of Syria, 195 pounds. Abdullah Farouk. All right, so we are in the Kobo Arena in Detroit, obviously. Nobody else did it. Did cards like that. And by the way, Terry White, the noted challenger for the British Empire title, that's because Whipper Billy Watson came down from Toronto as a special attraction and they needed something to showcase him. Um, you know, the, the only thing, this is not obviously during the 72 through 74 promotional war with Bruiser in Indiana. This, they just. Sheik booked giant cards in the Kobo, and a lot of these matches probably ended up on his television program. I don't see any reason why Stomper versus Jack Murphy should not be given away on free TV. 11 matches. Uh, as far as a year, Rogers, Buddy Rogers is the key here because his comeback for the Sheik was short. 
and done pretty much probably as a test run for himself as well as a favor to the Sheik. And I am going to say, and also because Lou Klein and Lou and Roy Klein were still brothers at that point. Um, Hell's Angels, the World Tag Team Champions. Hell's Angels were the challengers. Well, but still they're in the World Tag Team title picture. Right. Uh, Carpentier on the card. I'm going to say 1967. The date, Saturday, September 13th, 1969. Damn! The Kobo Convention Arena. Now, wait a minute. First bout, 8.30 p.m. Where did Rogers make a comeback in 67? Or am I... You may be confusing that with this things. one. In 69, he had the Detroit comeback. Well, if you call this a comeback, I don't know what you yes, call this. Yes, didn't he do a brief comeback in 67? I have to consult Somewhere. the Tim Hornbaker book, the fine biography of Buddy Rogers. All right, well, I'm, I'm two years off and I got the town. You got the town. All right. In that case, I will go next. And see, I'm going to be nice. I'm going to give you one that's not unheard of, that you ought to be able to figure this out. The opening match, the Red Shadow versus Jack Welch. Second event, George McCreary versus Ali Vaziri. Third match, Don Carson versus Ron Fuller. In the fourth event, Mike Graham will face Dick Slater. If Mike Graham wins, he gets a match with Slater's manager, Dandy Jack. For a tag team championship, Joe and Paul, the LeDuc brothers, taking on Rip Hawk and Billy Spears. The Mad Magician, Billy Spears, so-called because he could produce a foreign object from any part of his body. There's also an 18-man battle royal with a $9,000 jackpot featuring all of the aforementioned competitors, plus Haystacks Calhoun, Tex McKenzie, and the Great Malenko. And the main event is for a championship. Dusty Rhodes versus number one Paul Jones. Wow, this is all over the place. I thought it was one place, then I thought it was another place. Uh-huh. And then I think it's another place. You used to do a little, but a little didn't get it, so a little got more and more. Give me the opening match again. Red Shadow versus Jack Welch. What was the second match? Ali Vaziri versus George McCreary. And the main event was Dusty against who? Paul Jones? Number one, Paul Jones. It says that in the program, number one? Well, no, I'm just, because that's the way we all Well, know. no, that matters, As, as opposed that- to... As opposed to the 30s wrestler, Paul Jones. But if it said number one, Paul Jones, it would actually put a year on it. All right. Well, actually, in the, in the text of the article about the main event, it says, Paul Jones is an egotistical drugstore cowboy who needs to get taught a lesson by the man who is not only number one, but is also the uncrowned champion, and that person is me. So... He was potentially referring to himself as number one, and Dusty was playing off of that. Okay, I'm going with Tampa, Florida, just because I think it's in the Florida territory. I thought it may have been Knoxville or Alabama at different points as you were going through the card, but then I realized, because of a few things, 
It's probably Florida, the main event being one of them. The fact that it's Dusty against Paul Jones for what is probably a state title. Ali Vaziri was not yet any of the other gimmicks. He's still using his real name, so Vern has just started sending him around. And by the way, for the youngsters out there, Ali Vaziri would go on to become greater known or more widely known as the Iron Sheik. Dick Slater has Dandy Jack as a manager. And again, he's against Mike Graham. Mike Graham didn't really work too many places outside of the Florida Territory. And I'm picking Tampa because out of all the towns in the territory, I think that'd be the program you'd pick. I can't imagine you're going to hit me with a West Palm Beach. (laughs) I mean, that'd be a real fucking kick to the groin. That'd be just a dick thing to do, wouldn't (laughs) it? Well, I'm going with Tampa, Florida. 1975. Eh. Eh, You got neither the town nor the year because it is Miami Beach. Oh, you did do it. You see? Miami Beach. Well, no, Miami Beach was a weekly town as it ran more and drew better than Tampa most of the time. And it was January 2, 1974. Fuck, I was going to say 74 too. Shit. Yes, you were. And as a matter of fact, this makes sense because the first time I saw Ali Vaziri, who at that point weighed about 212 pounds and had washboard abs and a full head of hair, uh, was in the spring of 74 when he came up from Florida to Tennessee and was doing jobs on television. So, yes, January 1974, Miami Beach. The sun and fun capital of the world. Okay, so the score now is I've got, we're going to get one point for each, if one point for the town right and one point for the date right. And I've got one point because I got the town, if not the date, and you have no points. I got the territory. The town, the territory, goddamn. That could be like what's in New Orleans. No, Oak City, same thing. All See right. what I mean there? All right, well, let's go to... I got one here for you. All right. The opening bout, two out of three falls. Tom Drake versus Tor Yamato. Okay, hold on. Drake, Yamato. Bout two, best two out of three falls. Lester Welch versus Carlos Rodriguez. Okay. Bout three, once again, best two out of three falls. Billy Wicks... Versus Rocky Colombo. Okay. And the main event, which is a tournament match and an elimination for a championship I will not name here. Best two out of three falls. Spider Galento versus (laughs) Sputnik Monroe. Okay, Memphis, Tennessee. Uh... I won't say Ellis Auditorium. Could this have been one of the outdoor shows? Probably not, though. When you said Tom Drake and Tori Yamato, I was going to head for Birmingham in 1959 or 60, but now we're back in Memphis with Billy Wicks and Spider Galento against Sputnik Monroe. Was that the Tennessee heavyweight title tournament? Was that going on in the summer of 19? 19- 59? Well, you could just add a couple of points to your list there because you got the city and you got the date. And I said I had some easy ones for you. This was one of them. Uh Uh-huh. Monday, August 24th, 1959, the week after the big outdoor show, Billy Wicks versus 
Sputnik Monroe with Rocky Marciano as the referee. All right. And actually, it says it right here. NWA suggests tournament. National Wrestling Alliance officials suggested this past week that promoter Buddy Fuller schedule a short four-week tournament to decide the Tennessee championship. Rocky Marciano reported the action after last week's championship match was stopped and the NWA ruled the title vacant. Four tournament bouts are scheduled for tonight. Bada-boom. So I've got three points and you got none yet. I'm focusing on the history. You're making this about some sort of thing we should go to prize picks for. Why don't we <laughs> talk about the history here? <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about some history here. Here's a nice lineup for you. From the opening match, Jim Dalton versus Robert Fuller. Next match, tag team match, Roberto Soto and Ricky Gibson. That's Robert's older brother, by the way, for the young folks. Against Bobby Shane and the aforementioned Billy Spears. My first thought is Atlanta, but let's keep going. A tag team match, Bob Armstrong versus Tom Jones. Uh, no, shit. What am I saying? They've, they've got well, what this a tag out. team match that is. Well, no, they've, they've got this laid out a they little holograms? Re reading. Let's try this. <laughs> no, they have. It's. <laughs> they put a versus instead of an and. And I'm trying to figure out how the fuck they've. All right. It's, it's, they're trying to say. It's going to be Bob Armstrong and Tom Jones versus Stan Vashon and Cowboy Bobby Duncan. Then there's going to be a 10-minute intermission. Then the triple main event starts with a pile driver legal match. You cannot be disqualified, fined, or suspended for using a pile driver. Buddy Colt versus Bob Orton Sr., for the World Junior Heavyweight title, Danny Hodge defends against Hiro Matsuda. And finally, in the big main event, the Funk Brothers, Terry and Dory Funk Jr. versus Tim Mr. Wrestling Woods and his partner, Mr. Wrestling Number 2. Okay, this is a loaded show, and my first thought was Atlanta, and at various points I realized it could be a swerve and it could be Florida. because. There's a lot of Florida there, but also this is around the period of time during the Atlanta wrestling war where a lot of Florida talent worked in Georgia. Eddie Graham was doing a lot with that office, and eventually he was able to hand out points to people like Jack Briscoe. I'm going with Atlanta, Georgia. It's a loaded show, maybe even the Omni. Atlanta, Georgia, 1973. Boom! On both counts. Atlanta City Auditorium, October 5th, 1973. Ah, City Auditorium. So you got two points there for place and date. And by crack, and what a loaded show. Can you imagine? That's why Atlanta got the reputation of being the, you know, hottest city in the country during that promotional war because of the talent that was being sent in by Florida. And uh, from this period of time and later on through mid-1974, Jared Jarrett was sending guys down from Memphis as well, from the Tennessee Territory. Lawler worked Atlanta a lot in 1974, which is where he met Bobby Shane and got the crown and the idea for the King of Wrestling. There was, it was 
literally the the top talent or most of the top talent from Florida, Tennessee, this the talent that was still with the NWA office in Georgia, and different international stars like the Funks that would come in because they were close with Eddie Graham and you know the NWA wanted to win the War of Atlanta. They didn't want to lose the biggest city in the South at that time to an outlaw promotion. So, for but again, what a run. You know, every top wrestler in the goddamn business went through Atlanta over those two years. All right. And every big star of the previous few years in Atlanta was working opposition. I mean, until they ran yeah. out of things they could do, because they couldn't add too many new people to the roster that were going to work, that was pretty hot, too. It was. Well, <laughs> And Gunkel was doing business that a lot of wrestling promotions in normal times would have killed for, and they were the opposition that were fighting from underneath. All right, I got one here for you. Let's see if you're fighting underneath on this one. All righty, it's two to three. I'm ahead. The opening bout, Bob Cummings versus Larry Hamilton. Bout two, Cyclone Anaya versus Cowboy Carlson. The final preliminary bout, Sonny Myers versus Harry Lewis. The semifinal, Sugi Sito, or Suji Sito. Suji Sito. Versus Danny Savage. And the main event, two out of three falls, Don Evans versus Argentina Rocca. All right. Good Lord. I got, I ain't got a lot of Larry Hamilton. This, it almost has to be, it's either the Northeast or a rogue Carolina show. Larry Hamilton worked in the Northeast uh, with his brother Jody in the late fifties, early sixties. Larry Hamilton became the Missouri Mauler later on. Cowboy Carlson and uh, was it Hurricane or Cyclone at various times? Anaya. They were out of the picture of any mainstream card by the early 60s, I think. Sonny Myers, you would think Missouri, but as we established in this game previously, he worked in the olden days around a lot of places. Danny Savage has Suji Sito could be when you go with Don Evans, Don and Moose Evans were partners and, and alleged brothers, but Rocca is the big thing. This has to be a Northeastern spot show or some kind of fringe Carolina's event when Rocca tried to go opposite, I would think. Uh, or work opposition to Vince Sr., but that doesn't really, none of these other people fit that. Um, or could it have been that Rocca was just, this is early, mid-50s, and Rocca is just booked out in one of these weird locations, and I was correct about Missouri. Now that I look at Larry Hamilton and Sonny Myers on the same card. You know what? It's a spot show in Missouri in 1957. The date, Monday evening, 
February 22nd, 1954. Ah! The location, the Northside Coliseum, Fort Worth, Texas. Texas. Son of a bitch. Well, all That's right, no I got zero. That was no that. points, just to make no sure you points. got that. No points. So it's going to come down to this, apparently. My last program, it's still three to two. You're one behind. You can either tie or go ahead here. And considering some of the other things that we've said and done here, it's amazing that I picked this up. Are you ready for this card? It's an all or nothing to make or break. I'm nervous. I don't know. The opening match, Hogan Wharton versus The Brute. And by the way, uh, I've got a picture of Hogan Wharton here. And I got to be honest with you, if he ever became anybody else under another name, I don't recognize him. But he's big and popular, according to the program. Second match. Bad Boy Hines, remember one of the brother team, there was Bad Boy and there was Billy Hines, Bad Boy Hines versus Duke Kiyomoka. Third match, Lynn Crosby versus Torbellino Blanco. Fourth event, the semifinal, Pepper Gomez versus Adnan KZ. And finally, the main event, two out of three falls, no time limit, no disqualification, not lazy booking because it meant something. Danny McShane versus Wild Bull Curry. The obvious thing would be to think Houston, Texas, although it could be San Antonio, it could be I don't think it would be El Paso. It could be San Antonio. It could be even Dallas at any point in the 50s. It's definitely in the 50s. I'm going to go with Houston, Texas. Or a small spot show outside of Houston, which would count as Houston. Because <laughs> no one's going to pick Galveston. Um, Danny McShane versus Bull Curry. No DQ. Anything goes. Is there? Um, who are the referees listed? Uh, the referee listed is Otto Cuss, K-U-S-S. Right. You remember Otto. I remember. I know the name from Texas programs. What was the semi? And Lynn Crosby, by the way, would later on be known better as Lenny Montana when he appeared in The Godfather. What was the semi? The semifinal, Pepper Gomez versus Adnan Casey. Not Chief Billy White Wolf and not Sheik Adnan Casey, yeah. just Adnan Casey. That's the one that really threw me off the most, actually, because, uh, huh. I'm going with Houston, Texas. Pepper Gomez is there. Da -da -da. Bull Curry and Danny McShane. Danny McShane had really slowed down by the end of the decade, except for really special appearances. But I don't know anything about what built this up, so it could literally just be any time. I'm going with based on Pepper Gomez. See, I can't. I was about to say a year, but I'm thinking, did Adnan El Casey wrestle that far back? I'm going to go a little later than I wanted to. 1957, Houston, Texas. 
Well, now, wait a minute. You said earlier uh, that you said it was like 1959, and now you said you're going later, but that's earlier. Oh, no, I, I was actually so which thinking, is it? What, I was actually thinking it would be 55, and then uh, okay, I'm, gonna go with, I'm going with 57 based on Adnan L. Casey. Well, let me explain something to you, my fine young man. You won the, because you phrased it, Houston, Texas, or a spot show close by. Well, does 60 miles count as close? Beaumont, Texas. Yes, that absolutely counts because it was booked out by okay. the Houston office and no one would pick right. Beaumont, yes. Texas. Beaumont, Texas at the Sportatorium in Beaumont on Saturday evening, May 7, 1960. Oh. So you got the, the, the place, you missed the year, and we're tied at three and three. You want to go to a? You have any more programs there? You want to go to a lightning I did, round? I didn't. I thought two out of three ain't bad. I didn't know we would tie. I don't. But uh, hold on here. I can. I can. Re, you reach one. I'll reach. I can one. give you an easy one. Depends on how we want this to end. I can give you an easy <laughs> one. I just. I think the people just want it to end. I don't know. They really want a particular resolution out of this. See this you one's, pick. This you one's pick one. Easy. I'll pick one, and let's see what happens. Okay. This is too easy. I can't do this one. Let me go to All this right, one. Wait a minute. I'm looking for one that you won't get. Okay, me. you ready? Yeah, go ahead. Jesse James versus the Magnificent Chevier. Wait a minute. Chevalier. It's not spelled like that here. <laughs> well, they, they had a hard time spelling Chevalier back in those days. Go ahead. It's not Maurice Chevalier, but Golden Boy versus Hobo Brazil. Oh, come on. All right. I want a I year and I want an arena. Hold on. Okay. Tony Zolo versus apparently returning from the dead, Gorgeous George. And finally, the main event, four-man tag team match, Frank Scarpa and Cowboy Blatz versus Wild Bull Curry and Bruno Sam Nartino. And that was... You want an arena to, it was the, the, the Boston area. All right. Under the Beaumont, Texas rules, I'll give you the Boston area. It was the Boston arena. Okay. Well, the Boston area, because that was one of those, uh, Pfeffer fed, uh, Tony Santos outlaw shows in the Boston area. And because of the names that are being parodied, and the fact that that happened back in the early to mid-60s, I'm going to say 1964, Boston. You get one point for Boston. It's at the All Boston right. Arena Annex, Thursday, December 9th, 1965. God damn it, that I was either going to say 64 or 65, and I went, all right. Hey, real quick, before we move on, let's get, who's your favorite of all the fake names and real names here in this Jack Pfeffer Fed program? Golden Boy, Gene Dundee, Schlitz Von Erich, <laughs> Lucas, Hercules Taylor, Laverne Gagner. <laughs> that one is just filled with spite. Hold on. Yeah, it's filled with spite. Ilio DePaulo. Spelled D-I-P-A-U-L-O. 
Jumping Joe Brewer, Hobo Brazil, Gorgeous George, The Boston Bruiser, and finally, Vilmer Snader. <laughs> oh, and actually, excuse me, there's some more here. Bruno Sam Nartino, as well as Bruno Sam Martino, Jimmy Valentine, Hans Schmidt, this is the real Hans Schmidt, Luthez, Gene Karniski, and it's not Gene Karniski, The Mad Mongol, Cowboy Blatz, Johnny Powders. Johnny Powders? Powders. <laughs> Out of that whole bunch, I like Hobo Brazil, because it just so, it just says it. Here's a hobo from Brazil. I was in the back at the Louisville Gardens. Bobo was working in the Tennessee territory, and this was, God, was it 77 or 78? So at that point, he'd already been wrestling for 30 years, right? And he was nearing his early 50s. And he's waiting to go out, and I'm standing there because I've just taken some pictures, and, you know, I didn't want to just jump in front of Bobo's entrance. And as he's kind of jogging in place, one of the, the uh, ushers, the, the, the Andy Frayne security ushers that used to work the gardens, one of them would always watch the back door to the alley, and the, uh, another one came through to do something. And you heard them because the, the sound carried in this back holding area in the gardens. It was metal doors and concrete walls, and it would just echo. And even though they were whispering, you could hear them, who's that big black guy over there? And the other guy said, well, that, that's Bozo Brazier. And Bobo looked over and he looked back at me and he had that voice. He sounded a little bit like Ernie Ladd, but he was much lower speaking. He said, 30 years in the wrestling business and it's Bozo Brazil. It's <laughs> 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 uh, so fucking funny. <laughs> All right. You got one more because you got one point there. So you're All winning. All right. And I'm... And God damn, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to find one for you that's not a gimme. Um, I've given you, that was a gimme if that it was Boston. Come on. All right. It could have been fucking, I don't know, North Hollywood. All right. Um, oh, geez. No, that's not. This, is there a main event without this fucking guy? <sighs> We're going with Memphis, Tennessee. No. <laughs> All right, asshole. It's Mr. Asshole. I got, I got one for you then. Here's the card. Sonny Myers versus Bulldog Danny Pletchis. Has Sonny Myers been mentioned on any other wrestling show as much as he's been mentioned here this week? No, and somehow he just pops up everywhere. <laughs> He's all over the goddamn place. Paul Bunyan versus Leaping Larry Shaney and the er, Leaping Larry Shane Shaney Leaping Larry Shane and the Bruiser. Well, well, when you say the Bruiser, uh, well, keep going. I'll, I'll, I'll wait. Okay. Peggy Allen versus Kitty Adams. Dick Steinborn versus Art Nelson. And Doug Donovan versus Ricky Romero. 
Again, I think we're in Texas. I don't think you'd hit me with New Mexico. We're in Texas. We're either in Houston, Texas, or a town they would possibly book out talent to, or maybe somewhere else like El Paso, or even San Antonio. San Antonio had a lot of really good programs. The El Paso ones are good too. Give me the card once again. Uh, the main event. Okay, and and actually, I gave it I gave it to you in the wrong order because I'm tired. Doug Donovan versus Ricky Romero. Doug Donovan would later on become one of the Von Brauners, correct? Dick Steinborn versus Art Nelson. Peggy Allen versus Kitty Adams. A handicap match with Paul Bunyan against. Larry Shane and the Bruiser. And Sonny Myers versus Bulldog Pletchis. That's the main event, or Rita Romero was the main event? That, that, that's, that's the main event. Is Sonny, Sonny Myers and Bulldog Pletchis was, was the main event. <sighs> Could that be a Houston show? I don't know. Could that draw a house? I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to... I don't think you'd hit me with back-to-back Houston programs because that would be a dickish thing to do or Houston-related territory or, or towns. I'm but if, gonna... you, if, you, if you think about other things I've said off-air, nevertheless. <sighs> off-air, you talk about the fucking gardener. Uh, <laughs> I'm going with... I'm going with San and I'm going with El Paso. Nine, uh, 1958. Oh my god. That's the year you got it. We're yeah. still tied. Yeah. We're still fucking tied. Yeah. It's Amarillo, Texas. Fuck. I should have Amarillo that. by morning up from San Antonio and the only- <laughs> I told you I'd been looking at this Amarillo book of, that Scott Teal did. Yes, you And that's did. what I could reach. So I said, okay, I was trying to find a main event that Dory Funk Sr. was not in to give it away completely. But it was Amarillo, but you still got, we're still tied. Fuck it. I'm saying we're kissing each other's sisters. And I've seen your sister. I win. I'm getting the better end of the deal. I win because you cheated. You didn't have the program. You went to a book. You just went through something in a book. That's not well, how it was the, the game line works. Up. You forfeit. I win. That's cheating. Wait a minute. Hold on here. I've been. <laughs> I've been disqualified. Procedural error. I apologize. All right. I'm disqualified. Great Brian last wins four to four on a disqualification. And this has been guess the program here on your show. (laughs) You want to guess when the show's over? Uh, Hopefully right now. Right fucking now, folks. We're going to get back to our regular schedule. We'll be back in a few days with the drive through. We're I'm feeling better. And sooner or later, within the next few days, we will be back and chipper and ready for more. And if the people in the wrestling business would cooperate and do something either really good or really bad, we'll have a wonderful show for you. Right, Brian? Yeah. Yeah. And otherwise, if anybody's still here at this point, the antibiotics did work. I'm (laughs) still around. You can't get rid of me that easy. 
Thank you. Fuck you. Bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch the show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Meltzer says I'm in the key demo My mom's basement. I steal her Wi-Fi, not pay no rent. We've got indie stars drop back from wrestling school. Like Joe Janela at the top of the car. He trained himself in his own backyard. And this is shit everyone should get. Well, everyone. Except Jim Cornette Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Who needs women for hanging round in bars When you can watch the Bucks get seven stars When you can watch the Bucks get seven stars Dynamite Ever tag team division, haven't you heard? We've got Jericho, Orange Cassidy, and Michael Rio. Like Tony, I do fantasy booking. A title tournament, now we're cooking. And I can wait to hear what Cody has to say when Marcus Stunt goes all the way. Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, don't come in Go away, I'm watching wrestling Go away, I'm watching wrestling oh, This is wrestling heaven Don't listen to Corny, he hasn't been relevant since 87 He thinks that Luchasaurus can't work a lick or that Bobby Eaton could hold a candle to either Matt or him. He wants to cut up our heroes with a rusty fishing knife, or get them in the hot tub to play Scott the Submarine with him and his wife. And no, Mom, I'm not bitter. This has nothing to do with Jim blocking me on Twitter. And now, here comes Miro. Wearing pajamas like me, he's my hero. The young bucks could shoot on Buzz Sawyer Make Brock Lesnar take a Canadian destroyer Don't come in, Mom! Don't come in! Are you touching yourself again? No. Did you change the Wi-Fi password? Mom! Oh. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Watch Kenny Omega while I masturbate Elser says I'm in the key demo I am 39, I'm in the key demo I'm a single